With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Ah, yes. Living the dream once again here on a fabulous Sunday. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Hartman and Ornberger with you from the Fox Sports Radio studios. And yes, once again, we got a packed show for you today with a lot of game-changing stories to report on. But first, Rich, here we are on the Sunday before our nation's birthday and I would imagine you're engaged in a lot of outdoor activities over this weekend. Barbecue, I would imagine, is foremost on your mind right now. Oh, no Rich yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was uh, talking to Rich right now. Okay, so uh, we will get to Rich Ornberg. He'll be joining us here uh, in a matter of moments. Uh, again, we have a lot of things we're going to be covering today, including the big update and the changing landscape as far as college football is concerned, college sports in general, but mainly it's engineered around the college football, uh, well, juggernaut, if you want to put another word to it. And we've seen, of course, what is maybe the dismantling of the Pac-12 conference in terms of being significant with the loss of USC and UCLA as they are now ventured over into Big Ten territory starting in the 2024 season. And the dominoes are beginning to fall. Now, yesterday, Jeff Schwartz and I, who, by the way, works with the Pac-12 network, went into great detail on some of the different scenarios that could actually play out uh, over the course of the next couple of years before all the dust settles. And what thing is absolutely clear is that the Big Ten with the Fox Sports backing and the SEC with the ESPN backing have got a lot of money, and they're spending it right now. Isn't it interesting how this has all played out? We, we were talking golf, which is something that we rarely talk about unless it's centered around a major golf championship. But we have this Live Golf Tour that is, you know, paying out this exorbitant amount of money 
money to these golfers. I mean, just over the weekend, think about this. You had the John Deere Classic in golf where the winner walked away with $1.3 million or will at the end of today in the fourth round. Well, they played just three rounds in the Live Golf Tour, and yesterday the winner walked away with $4.4 million. So money talks, and joining us right now is Rich Ornberger, who yes. was, uh, uh, I, I, I imagine you're working on the barbecue right now is what I was talking about. No, right? no. I've been sitting here trying to get connected for a few minutes. Um, we had a couple of technical difficulties. Well, those that... things happen right now. Well, mm-hmm. Rich, I want to get right into this right now, because uh, yesterday Jeff Schwartz uh, came on uh, with me as we do our Saturday national show, and it was really interesting getting some of Jeff's insight, because he works with the Pac-12 Network. What feedback are you getting i'm going to play out a lot of scenarios for you today rich some of the things he threw out there but it is literally almost a moment a moment ongoing scene and i was talking about the the comparison to the live golf tour mm. um you know here we have this john deere classic where most of the big names on the pga tour sit the week out so you have pretty much an anonymous leaderboard the winner will end up at the end of today with a 1.3 million dollar check Meanwhile, the Live Tournament in Portland or outside of Portland ended yesterday. It's only three rounds with the Live Tour, and the winner walked away with $4.4 million. So when we talk about the kind of money we are talking about for these universities and what's at stake here, the money will talk every single time. In fact, how about this little disclosure? We were talking about USC and UCLA and, you know, of course, defecting to the Big Ten starting in the 2024-25 uh, fiscal year. And he told me yesterday, Jeff Schwartz, that the reason UCLA jumped on this, they're like $80 million in debt. Hmm. $80 million in debt. What's the difference in the price tag between the proposed Pac-12 package and the Big Ten package? Simple. The payout is less than $20 million right now per school. In the Big Ten, we're looking at $100 million per year payout for each school. So that's a good way to wipe out a lot of debt instantly. So, you know, as we start unraveling this thing right now, Rich, and talking about, all right, where are we now and where are we heading, I'm just looking at it from a football standpoint. Ultimately, do you believe you know, the erasing of conferences or the shuffling of schools, you know, West Coast schools playing against East Coast schools, supposedly under the same umbrella. Do you think that any of this potentially could actually harm the game? No, 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 no. Look, the game is the game. People are interested in watching the sport or they're not. That's the difference. Now, if there's interest well, then you're going to have popularity, and with popularity, you're going to have advertisers, and with advertisers, you're going to have immense money, and that's exactly what college football has right now. But there is a point of diminishing returns. We haven't reached it yet. We don't know where that line is. We never do until we step over it, but we're starting to see that in the NBA, and I'll use that as the example. Look, I am always a player advocate when it comes to salaries because every for everybody who will say these players are so greedy they these players you know they have so much money and they're not loyal to their contracts and blah 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 I get it it's annoying if you're a fan but if you look at it neither are teams 
Neither are franchises. Neither are owners. Players get traded all the time on their contracts. It's not like they're getting choose. Cho- they're not choosing to all of a sudden be uprooted midseason and go from playing in New York to Denver, Colorado. Like that's not their choice. But they they signed a contract where a team can just throw them in a new market at at a whim for draft picks or for whatever that they get back in return. So there is no loyalty amongst owner to player and now we're starting to see that dynamic flip player to owner the difference is the fans don't necessarily leave just because Kevin Durant wants out and he wants to go play for the Lakers or he wants to go play for the the Heat or he wants to go pick his team play for the Phoenix Suns whatever he ends up doing it doesn't mean that all of a sudden all these Nets fans are going to jump ship on the Nets and follow Kevin Durant's career So that's where the loyalty exists in the NBA, and that's the reason why we're starting to see NBA ratings fall over the past decade because nobody can buy a superstar's jersey anymore because you don't know if he's going to be in the market that you care about for longer than three or four years. Is that going to start happening in college football? I don't know. We'll see. But as it stands right now, the game hasn't changed. It's just it's we're just going to start to see if interest changes in the game based on all of these huge earth-shaking moves that are happening. All right, so the of course started a year ago. Ironically, it was on July 1st a year ago. It seems longer, doesn't it? The Texas and Oklahoma dropped their bombshell that they were going to lead the Big 12 to move to the SEC and now this USC UCLA move to the Big 10. So Let's let's talk about some of these other schools out there. So what's the next shoe to drop? And we all seem to agree that the Big Ten is focused on Notre Dame. But also understand this about the ACC. Now, I'll get to the future of the Pac-12 and the Big 12 in a moment. But let's focus on the ACC. And the reason I talk with about the ACC, A, they have Clemson, which obviously is an elite program. Technically, they also have Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame is an ACC school and everything other than football. They also have Duke and North Carolina in basketball, the premier rivalry in all of college basketball. Here's the problem, Rich, and talk about the discrepancy in money. So the ACC has a contract of the ESPN that doesn't expire until 2036. Right. But get this, the payout to each school for those – Schools in the ACC is about $17 million a year. Seventeen. We're talking in excess of $100 million a year for the schools in the SEC and the Big Ten, which is why, obviously, USC and UCLA are running for that money. So if you're Clemson right now, or let's say, let's, let's play this quick scenario for you. Let's say the SEC says, no way are we going to let the Big Ten get Notre Dame. We want Notre Dame. We're going to get Notre Dame and Clemson. We want them. Then the Big Ten counters by saying, really? Tell you what, we're going to take North Carolina and Duke. We're going to take those two and add them to our portfolio as far as, you know, the basketball mega powers uh, for the Big Ten. The buyout in the ACC to wrestle these schools away is sizable. But then again, when you're looking at the kind of money that's going to be billion-dollar deal, billion-dollar yeah. deals for the SEC and it Big Ten, matter. it doesn't matter. It yeah. can absolutely get done. And, and this is my point about any contract, right? You know, contracts, look, they used to mean a lot more than, than they do now. Let's just put it this way. Through litigation or through settlement or through 
frankly, the, the losing the 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 battle of the dollar, like like you just put it down perfectly. The 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 risk versus reward of buying out a Duke and UNC, the reward is way higher. Because you know that Duke and UNC, just based off of tradition, just based off of the fact that they've had um, they've had a tremendous amount of national exposure for their athletes over the past decades, you know, 30, 40, 50 years plus, you know, they, they have name recognition. They have branding. So if you purchase the rights to UNC and Duke away from the ACC, virtually almost anything you spend on those properties, you are going to be rewarded for in the long term. And what does the long term mean? It could mean you're, you're made whole by year three of a new deal with a network that includes Duke and UNC. And then after that, you start earning profits on them being participants in your conference. It, it's just, we're talking ridiculous amounts of money that these conferences, especially these super conferences now we're talking the Big Ten and the SEC stand to gain if they just start gobbling up all these other enterprises. Think about Facebook. Facebook owns Instagram. Instagram used to be this bumbling software program called Bourbon or something like that. I I remember reading the origin story of Instagram. And it was just basically a social media platform that allowed people to take pictures of the bourbon that they were drinking and share it amongst <laughs> friends, right? And then they were like, you know what? We need to rebrand. We love the the photo sharing aspect of this app, this social media photo sharing aspect, but we just don't love that it's so niche. It's so just based on bourbon. So they expanded it. They, you know, that now it, it, Instagram starts to becoming what it is today. And then Facebook goes, holy cow, look at Instagram. It's this brand new thing. It's really popular. We don't have the software built out to compete with it. So instead of competing with it, they buy it. And they spend a lot of money to do it. Billions and billions of dollars. Guess what? They've already made that money back. That's how this works. When you are big enough that you can gobble up smaller enterprises, even if you spend humongous amounts of money, you win in the end. Is there any tech company bigger than Facebook? Maybe one, maybe two. Is there any conference bigger than the Big Ten? Maybe the SEC. I, I mean, but that's just how this works. It's a, it's a, it's a Game of Thrones. All right, so on the other side, we're going to get into, we talked about the ACC and the dilemma they have because their schools are got this huge contract that's until 2036. That's not the case with the Pac-12 and the Big 12. The war is on. What is the best solution for the survival of either one or both of those conferences? We're going to tell you coming up next. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. 
And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm gonna talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic, and then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Steve Harvey, Rich Ornberger, Fox Sports Sunday from our Fox Sports Radio studios. Iowa Sam is on the lame right now. Bobo is jumping in today. Bobo, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Good to see you, man. It's been a minute. It has been. We don't get to see a lot of you, but uh, hope all is well with you. Appreciate you coming by today. Had Ramos on the show yesterday, filling in for Iowa Sam. Um, Sam will be back at some point here. Oh yeah. Uh, but Rich, I, I, again, we're we're talking about what's going on right now, the uh, ever changing landscape of college sports, but in particular where the big money is, and that is college football. So I want to talk about the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve. So remember, we had the Big Twelve adding BYU, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston set to join the Big 12 on July 1st of next year, 2023. Right. Now, as soon as we heard word of USC and UCLA bolting for the Big 10, there was word that the Arizona schools, Utah and Colorado, were in discussion with the Big 12. Now, yesterday, again, some insight from Jeff Schwartz, sort of on the inside with the Pac-12 network, his suggestion, see how you play this out, Rich, is that right now, if either one of these conferences really wants to survive as the big name, big money schools, potentially big money schools get pecked off by the SEC and the Big Ten, that they need to join forces right now instead yeah. of battling to siphon off you know, schools from each other because, you know, Pac-12 immediately went into the mindset of, yeah, we're all, everything's on the table for expanding our conference. And of course, the Big 12 is already doing that with the four schools I already mentioned. This idea of trying to compete against each other to add schools might be detrimental to both of these conferences. Perhaps they should look to maybe join forces to create a third so-called super conference Maybe not with the star power that the SEC and the Big Ten have, but the very least, a survival mode, a package of schools they can present to try to get more money for these schools down the road. What do you think? So 
if I have this correct, you're saying that the ACC and Big 12, potentially the Pac-12, they all form a super conference of their own, or you're talking about... Uh, basically, that's it. I mean, in other words, if, if indeed, because I think we're both in accord, we just talked about these ACC prime schools like North Carolina Duke basketball or Clemson Notre Dame football are going to be picked off by the Big Ten or the SEC. Well, so what do you it. do with all the rest of the remaining schools in the, Ace, in, in the Big 12 without Oklahoma and Texas, in the Pac-12 without USC and UCLA, potentially There's the AC. What do you do? 40 teams left out in the cold. Exactly. There's going to be – so if you think about it right now, there's 130 FBS schools playing in the Big 12, playing in – well, actually, let's just say in the Power 5 conferences as we used to know them. Right. And the Group of 5 conferences. Correct. So you have these 10 conferences, you have 130 schools, and if you really evaluate the talent – and I'm talking about the typical – overall win-loss record for the majority of these schools in these conferences. There are perennial winners, there's perennial losers, and then there's that middle section, and that gets split up. Now, if you take, say, the top 75 of those schools, if you skim off like the, the, the top 65, 70 schools, you have a pretty elite group of schools in terms of competitiveness. Once you get into that next, say, 30 or so, it's some good years, some bad years. And then the final 30 to 40 teams, they're just perennial losers. They're just getting beat up all the time. It's the Rutgers of the world. It's the San Jose States of the world until very recently. They have blips in, on the radar. It, you, you just have these schools that are just the hanger-oners. Those are the schools, unfortunately, that are going to get, or the types of schools that may end up getting left out in the cold as these conferences start to change. Now, some of them are going to get grandfathered in because they've been with their conference for long enough, and should they be so lucky to ride the coattails in the Big Ten or be in a major media market, that may help them survive better. But there, I think this is going to happen either way. Whether it's the SEC and the Big Ten gobbling up as many of these elite top 60 schools as they possibly can or it's a third mega conference that forms as a result of the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the ACC joining forces. Whatever ends up happening, you're going to see the top 60 or 70 teams or so start having immense success and then it's going to be the rest of the party is going to be somewhere down the list. And it's really always been that way with the Power Five and the Group of Five. It just looked different, obviously. All right, so early word on the Pac-12, which, again, immediately came out with we will expand and we are going to uh, make up for the loss. Well, you're not going to make up the loss of the L.A. market. I mean, that's the problem. The two L.A. schools are out of your conference. Early word is the two schools that they're going after will be San Diego State and UNLV, not Boise. Why? Well, Vegas is a bigger market, obviously, than Boise, Idaho. San Diego is obviously a pretty big market as well. What does that do for the Pac-12 network? Well, not a whole lot, because when you're trying to negotiate a television contract and you eliminate the L.A. market from that contract – you're going to feel the effects. Um, there's another play here. So we were talking yesterday again with Jeff about his Oregon Ducks. You know, a lot of people think that, let's say the Big Ten does get Notre Dame. Then the next school they'll go after is Oregon. But now there's Buzz Rich out of the Oregon State Legislature that is telling the University of Oregon, you're not going anywhere without Oregon State. That is a package deal. Well, obviously, the Big Ten has no interest in Oregon State. Same scenario with Washington over Washington State and Stanford over Cal. 
Cal could really be left out in the cold because Stanford is another school, Rich, that would have some national interest. That would be a school that may be desirable if we expand, let's say, the uh, Big Ten to 20 schools. Let's say the Big Ten goes to 20 schools, right? They're already at 16. Stanford could be a very attractive school as well. By the way, I wanted to get into this on the other side coming up. Some of the logistics of the idea that we have these West Coast schools playing into the middle of the country. And also, we were talking about this the other day. So Rich went to Penn State, All-American there at Penn State. When I grew up, Penn State was an independent. All the East Coast schools, Syracuse, Pitt, Penn State, they were all independents. There was right. no organized East Until Coast the 90s. conference. Oh, yeah. And uh, so when I was raised, Penn State was an independent. And, of course, UCLA was then the Pac-8. I'm really dating myself to the late 60s, early 70s. The idea that somehow, if you had told me that Penn State and UCLA would somehow be in the same conference, oh, by the way, that conference, the Big Ten, <laughs> I'm like, in what world are we talking about? How, right. how do you have a Penn State on one side of the country and UCLA on the other side of the country come together in a conference which at that time was all middle America? And this is where we're at. So on the other side, I want to get to some of the other logistics when we talk about playing football and traveling and how that's all going to play out for USC and UCLA going into the Big Ten. But first, let's find out what is trending right now. And look who's aboard today. Monsi is here. Monsi, how are you today? Hi, guys. Happy Sunday. Happy how are Sunday. You? Do you have big plans for the uh, 4th of July holiday, Monsi? Not even a little bit. Not I'm even. not a big fan of 4th of July. Really? Uh, I, I hate the fireworks. Everyone should stop. Dogs hate it. Dog, mm. Dogs run away. And I, I'm not a fan. I know I'm like the, I'm not in the in, in the normal crowd. I okay, think most well, people like it. Monsi, <laughs> if I were to tell you that tomorrow's my birthday, would it mean more to you? It would. No, then, then I'm celebrating something. All right, so you can celebrate my birthday, <laughs> even if you're not celebrating the fireworks. You can celebrate my Happy birthday. birthday. Thank you, Monsi. That's Thank amazing. I have a friend who's also born on the 4th of July. It's an easy day to remember when people it say, well, what, 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 <laughs> what's is. your birthday, 4th of July? Because when you think about it, how many holidays are referred to? I mean, technically, it's Independence Day, but no one ever says that. No, they just not say at 4th all. 4th of July. What, what, Cinco de Mayo? What, what other holidays are there that are known really by their date? Totally. I agree with you. I'm so bad at birthdays. I'm never going to forget yours. I'm so bad at birthdays. It's an easy birthday, Monsi. Busy day today? Oh, about to be in, in Major League Baseball. We're about to have like seven games that are about to start. Right now, we only have one going. It's the Royals and the Tigers, and it's been all Royals so far. They are shutting out the Tigers 3-0. to zero. Emmanuel Rivera hit a two-run homer in the second inning to help the Royals cap it at 3-0 right now, but it's only the fifth inning. What's interesting about this game, though, it's airing on Peacock, and there's no TV announcers in the booth for this game at all. Mm. That mm. what? They tried this before. It right. doesn't work. It doesn't work. I, I I can't imagine watching that with no TV announcers. That's so interesting. It's on Peacock, so I can't even check it out because you have to have Peacock to stream it. <laughs> but I find that so interesting. The NFL did it one time. NBC decided years and years ago, Monty, to air an NFL game. 
with no announcers. And did yeah. everybody get fired who approved it that? It did not work. <laughs> it did not work. <laughs> I think it was way. a Jets game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was the NBC. Uh, this is 40 years ago, but yeah, uh, NFL game, no announcers. Let's see this when this was. Whoever this was approved it. that, really. And you know it went through yeah, several people. Yeah, it was people. the Jets and the Dolphins. It was 1980, and it was an announcerless game late in the season, and I, it was a disaster. That, it was not a good idea. I, it sounds absolutely <laughs> terrible. I don't know how it was approved, and like I said, you know it was approved by multiple people. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. But another Major League Baseball news, Mookie Betts will be back in the lineup for the Dodgers today. Very exciting. They're going to take on the San Diego Padres for their uh, four-game series. And Chris Taylor, though, is now day-to-day. He suffered a foot contusion last night as in right field, so he's now listed day-to-day. So the Dodgers get one, they lose one. We'll see what happens with Chris Taylor. Wimbledon is going on right now. That's true, but the big story is Roger Federer is there. Eight-time champion. And he was asked, it's the Wimbledon's 100-year center court celebration. That's why he was there. He was asked about coming back to Wimbledon, and he said he hopes to return one more time. Last August, he announced that he was having knee surgery and that he would be absent for many months, but he's hoping that he could come back one more time, maybe become another champion. We'll see. Pretty amazing. Now, I don't know if you guys remember last year, but I think we all thought Odell Beckham Jr. tore his ACL during the Super Bowl. I mean, we all kind of saw it against the Bengals. Well, apparently, maybe that's not what happened. He tweeted last night, quote, crazy thought, by the way, crazy with a K. Quote, crazy thought. Really played the whole back of the the whole back half of the season without an ACL and won a Super Bowl. What? That's nuts. Do we believe that? No, it can happen. Um, Heinz Ward looked this up. I'm pretty sure it's true. I don't think has an ACL on either knee, but he has such strong ligament supporting and muscles supporting both of his knee joints that he was able to have a career without him. Nuts to me. That's nuts. I I can just imagine the pain and also like the the physicalness that you go in playing with NFL as a wide receiver. Like how? How? Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And obviously a big story. NBA Yahoo Sports saying that the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets are actively engaged in discussions on a trade package that would send Russell Westbrook to Brooklyn and that would send Kyrie Irving to LA. It is all preliminary at this point, but one of the big things with the Nets is draft compensation and they also want to send Joe Harris. Now, Joe Harris is owed $36.8 million over the next two years. I don't know if the Lakers want that. The Lakers instead want Seth Curry, who has an expiring contract worth only $8.5 million. Mm. Uh, so we'll see what happens, guys. Back to you. All right. Thanks, Monty. We're going to be getting into a lot of this NBA free agency in the future of Kevin Durant shortly. But I want to get back to this uh, whole idea of USC and UCLA now joining forces with the Big Ten. Still a couple years away, by the way. Um, but let's talk about the travel aspects of this. So, um, And one of the reasons why I would imagine if you're USC and UCLA, you're pushing the Big Ten to maybe take in a couple of other West Coast schools. Because when you're talking about traveling, and you know those early games they play in the Big Ten because you were in the Big Ten coming from the East Coast. But if you're coming from the West Coast, um, that could be a bit of a challenge, Rich. I it mean, can we, be. Because we talk gonna, about West Coast, East Coast. Them. Well, first of all, traveling, right? I would imagine that they're going to have major upgrades now that all this money's pouring into USC and UCLA, that they're going to have major upgrades in terms of their travel accommodations. Just a guess, right? I mean, yeah. you got to I mean, if you got to go to Wisconsin one week and the next week you're at Iowa or Michigan or Ohio State, um, that's a lot of travel for guys. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and also because we always throw talk into the picture, stuff. like the fact that a lot of these conferences like to have you know midweek games at different times. Yeah. Not not now not as not much in the Big Ten so much as the Big Ten. Not as much in you know the SEC, but it happens. You'll have a Friday nighter here and there. It, it's just it's just one of those things where look. Where there's a will, there's a way. And this happens in professional sports all the time, cross-country travel, and nobody seems to have a problem with it because these guys are paid. Well, guess what? With name, image, and likeness, with millionaires being made out of college athletes, and we're not just talking, by the way, you know, the the athletes who are playing profit-making sports like college basketball and college football. You know, you're seeing this in women's college basketball. The... um, I forget their name, but the twins who used to play at Fresno State, they now play for University of Miami. The Cavender twins, they're making $2 million annually off of name, image, and likeness. There's many examples in other sports that the, the, the athletes aren't necessarily profiting playing their sport for the university, but they're making money. So I digress on that point to make this point. These are now professional athletes. If they're able to market themselves, if they're able to find a way to make money based off of these collectives that are surrounding the universities, they're able to make a pretty decent living playing football or college basketball at the collegiate level. So as a result of that, I think less and less people are going to be clutching their pearls and going, well, what about their academics? Well, you know, the academics are starting to take a backseat more and more with this transparency that these athletes are getting paid more and more money to do what they're doing. So... I, I, they'll make the accommodations necessary from a class schedule standpoint. We know that they'll make the accommodations necessary to make sure that these athletes um, get the proper amount of rest and you know travel as smoothly as possible. I don't see this really being a huge sticking point with any of this because it happens professionally all the time. Well, it does, and like you said, it's now professional. It's it is what it is. The collegiate level, this uh, idea of these student athletes and everything else of the NCAA. NCAA, by the way, is completely out of the. Now, I mean, just completely irrelevant in any of this. You talk about, you know, we talk about the survival of the Pac-12 conference or these conferences. How about the survival of the NCAA? Uh, That might be in jeopardy. By the way, if you're UCLA, I just play this up because I'm a Bruin, right? So one of the the draws for UCLA, and from what we understand, Mike Bone, the athletic director for USC, was really the genius behind this whole thing. Like, he really pushed. Remember, he came from the University of Cincinnati before he came to USC. A lot of roots in the the Midwest. So he was the guy that really orchestrated this. Meanwhile, Martin Jarman, the uh, athletic director of UCLA, my guess is he was begging, begging Mike Bone, put in a word for us. We want to be part of this. But think about this, Rich. You had a chance to be out at the Rose Bowl, right? The Rose Bowl's a big draw. I mean, when you talk college football, is there any stadium in the country more synonymous with the history of college football than the Rose Bowl? It has a great tradition. But think about this if you're UCLA. Now, obviously, when you play USC, you're going to get a packed Rose Bowl. But for many years now, UCLA has played a lot of games in a half-empty Rose Bowl. You know who travels? Big Ten schools. You get a Wisconsin playing a regular season game at UCLA, it's going to be a sea of red. You get Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa, they will travel. So not only is UCLA getting that nice, tidy $100 million a year by joining the Big Ten, they're going to get more butts and seats for these Big Ten opponents out of the Rose Bowl. It's like it's a win on top of a win. Oh, yeah. Which is why I was uh, sent a letter from UCLA 
to me as an alum saying, great news, <laughs> great news. Financially, the windfall could be mega. So that's that's another draw for the Big Ten is, hey, now we have the Rose Bowl to add as one of our home stadiums. Well, and what's going to happen as a result, like you said, is you're going to get an influx of people actually attending these UCLA games. Uh, whereas before, I've look, I've broadcasted from the Rose Bowl uh, UCLA regular season game, and it's pretty pitiful, the crowds that they draw there. Terrible. Even, even when they're a talented team, even yeah. when they have first-round draft picks on this roster, they just cannot get get their student body to get their fans into the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And that is a cathedral to football. That is a beautiful stadium. I played in the Rose Bowl my senior year at Penn State against USC. We got romped in that one. But it was an unbelievable experience and to see it full you know of Penn State and USC fans you know the, mm. the 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 whole thing the 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 majesty of that bowl game and then to broadcast a regular season game from there the difference was stark and so yeah this is a huge win for UCLA and then hearkening back to our conversation like 40 minutes ago talking about some of the reasons why UCLA is interested in joining the Big Ten I mean not only could potentially they be in some sort of financial peril but also it makes their regular season college basketball uh, uh, scheduling more appealing mm-hmm. because all of a sudden you have East Coast eyes on West Coast basketball, which is not usually the case until basically the tournament starts. You got UCLA taking on Michigan State and Izzo, Indiana. You think about all these basketball powers in the Big Ten, it's going to be a windfall. So again, we are in the early stages of this, right? We really only had a couple of major moves a year ago with Texas and Oklahoma fleeing the Big 12 to go to to the SEC, and now this USC-UCLA move to the Big Ten, uh, there is a lot more coming. All right, so how does this then affect the professional game? With all this changing of the collegiate level, does this make it even more positive for the future of the NFL and the NBA? Look at that coming up next. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Steve Harbin and Rich Ornberger, this is Fox Sports Sunday. Okay, so we're a little obsessed right now with the changing landscape of college sports, but how is this going to affect the professional level? And Rich, I think you've talked about the whole impact of the name, image, and likeness, and now that these collegiate athletes are going to be professionals. I mean, not essentially professionals. They will be professionals because they're going to be paid. By the way, when you also talk about being paid, if these universities are bringing in, in the Big Ten and the SEC, in excess of $100 million a year. Forget the name, image, and likeness. Some of that needs to be funneled to the players. And maybe eventually, I know they had a bill introduced in California that failed at the legislature level, but eventually you get a sense that the players in these revenue-generating sports, namely football, men's basketball, will get a piece of the pie eventually. But the idea of... Guys, maybe staying in school a year longer. Heck, I might make more money staying in college than I would as a rookie at the professional level. Is that good for the NBA? Is that good for the NFL? Yeah, it is because you're going to get more developed players leaving college than ever before. You're going to get players that not only are maybe more secure in their abilities on the field, but off the field. Part of the issue with being a rookie in the NFL, as I experienced it, was even though I was 22 years old, I had no idea what to do with money. I had no idea what to do with money. I've told this story before, but I'll, repl- I'll, I'll retell it again because I think it's meaningful uh, for listeners to understand and people to understand that just because somebody is given hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars doesn't mean that they should, or not even that they should have it, that they know what to do with it. I didn't even know that I could take a signing bonus check to the bank. I thought it was too large. I was given a check, a paper check, that I had to endorse, which for anybody who's too young that or d- doesn't do uh, banking by hand anymore and does all their stuff online, it means signing the back of a check. I had no idea what any of this meant. Somebody, I had to call up my financial advisor and he had to walk me through this. I was like, hey, I just got my signing bonus check. He goes, congratulations. What is it for? And it was a couple hundred thousand dollars. And he was like, well, that's excellent. He was like, you got to deposit that as soon as possible, right? And he kind of laughed and he was like, you're well on your way. And he starts going into the soliloquy. I'm like, hey, where do I deposit this? And he goes, well, at your bank. And I said, my bank? I was like, well, which one? And I was like, don't I have to like send it to you? (laughs) 
And he goes, no. He goes, no, you don't send it to me. He's like, he's like, what, do you have a paper check with you? Do you have it with you right now? I said, yeah. And I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, I have it. I was like, but what do I like? Do, I can just go to any bank. Like, there's no, there's no, like any bank. And he starts laughing. He goes, Rich. He was like, you bank with whatever it was at the time. I was like, yeah. He goes, walk into a branch. He said, go to the teller. And he's like, and give them the check. They'll know what to do with it. And I was like, okay. And I said, and they're just going to put it into my account? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> I said, like my, my checking account. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. And he goes, don't forget to sign the back. I'd never endorsed a check in my life. I had never done it. I'd never done it once. I'd never received a paycheck on the books before, so I never had to. I, I had a cash job at a deli growing up. I would go back in the summers when I was playing football, and I'd work at the deli. They paid me in an envelope filled with cash. So I had no idea what to do with a paycheck. So I end up going to the bank. I put on a tie to go to the bank because I thought I was going to go sit down with like the fancy people behind the glass in the offices. And I go up to the teller. I'm like, hey, you know. And like the, the bank teller acted like it was just a normal deposit because it was, but I had no idea. And so my financial illiteracy, if I could be that illiterate when it comes to finances and I'm 22 years old and I'm entering the league, like if you can have some experiences and make some of the mistakes during your college years, which are supposed to be your educational years anyways, and be more professional by the time you make it to your job, isn't that better? I think it is. Well, I also have this thought about the NFL or the NBA. Well, but the NFL in particular, because they have the structured system for the NFL draft. You're slotted. In other words, you you, you wherever you're picked is going to determine what you're going to get on your rookie contract. They may have to up the ante. Look at the the NFL wants to get to these guys early. I mean, for instance, let's let's look at what we got right now with CJ Crone and uh, and Bryce Young, right? So you got, did I say C.J. Crone? C.J., what am I listening here? The Ohio State quarterback. Oh, C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud and, and Bryce Young. So you got these two quarterbacks, right? They were Heisman finalists a year ago. Of course, Bryce Young won the Heisman Trophy at Alabama. They're coming back for their junior years because they're not eligible for the NFL draft. I don't know what these guys are going to be making this year. But I'm going to guess that C.J. Stroud, we already heard from his coach, Ryan Day, says, I need $13 million just to pay the team I got right now. Uh, And then Bryce Young, who, according to Nick Saban, was already making a million dollars before he even started a game at Alabama. I don't know what they had to do to keep those guys out of the transfer portal. But perhaps, Rich, the NFL may have to up the ante as far as those rookie contracts is concerned if they want to get to these players sooner rather than later. Yeah, you may have to. I mean, look, this is the reality of sports right now is athletes are starting to realize their worth and they're pushing for more and more. We saw this right before the pandemic. You saw coalitions in the Big Ten, in the Mountain West, in the Pac-12 coming together and speaking out, demanding certain things. It's only going to happen more and more as the years go by and these players understand their agency and these $100 million contracts that schools are getting from their conference is going to have to be shared with the players that time is coming quickly all right coming up on the other side nba free agency all waiting on one guy where will kevin durant end up next we will tell you keep it here on fox sports radio fox sports radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com 
And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Ah, rolling on on this beautiful Sunday, Fox Sports Sunday. Hartman and Ornberger with you from the Fox Sports Radio studios. It is a 4th of July weekend. Tomorrow is the big day as our nation celebrates a birthday. I will as well. Uh, Have you finalized your barbecue plans for tomorrow, Rich? What are the plans for the uh, 4th of July for you? Yeah, we got um, we got crazy amounts of pork going down. Mm. We're gonna be doing a por- an all day pork shoulder, mm. which is gonna be uh, the end result's gonna be the pulled pork sandwiches with the Hawaiian BBQ Ooh, sauce and coleslaw yeah. on those uh, those Aloha Hawaiian buns, mm. Mm. and then mm. I'm gonna smoke four racks of ribs. <laughs> oh my. It's just going to be... Yeah, and your process for ribs, if you haven't watched this uh, with Rich... By the way, follow us on TikTok. uh, Oh, yeah. Hartman and Rich O. Um, That's where you can find the TikTok. But uh, your preparation of ribs, uh, that's a multi-layered process. Big time. Always. We just lost Rich. I think Rich, I, I just heard him just fade away. (laughs) <laughs> I think all this talk about food just sort of just got him going uh, a little. Uh, <laughs> he might have passed out just thinking about the uh, food situation there. But uh, uh, yeah, Hartman and Richel, we do a TikTok uh, where we do a lot of uh, eating. Let's put it that way. We go to different places where they have, you know, different types of food and we experiment a little bit. But in terms of just sheer barbecuing, uh, Rich is an absolute master out there. And he likes to take you through the process. All right, we're going to get into the uh, NBA right now. And Rich will join us again here shortly. He's on remote, so we'll get to him. But we want to get into where we are right now as far as NBA free agency is concerned and it really begins and there's Rich is back there Rich is uh, I thought you might have passed out from all the talk about the uh, multi-layer uh, process of your ribs that Dude, you barbecue I am so excited I wish you know what's weird about when you like buy a grill or a smoker that you're really excited to get working on and you've been thinking about for a while or like you you have a couple of big food projects like I would imagine this is the way people feel when I, I like like you know those Disney adults you know like how there are certain adults who like they still go to Disneyland well into their 30s and their 40s and they get married at Disneyland and they have their anniversaries at Disneyland like Ralph Irvin and his wife Anna per- were married at Disneyland I was there our update update anchor Ralph Irvin there you go so Ralphie the day before the night before Disneyland I imagine the, the way I feel about the night before the day before cooking ribs or smoking a pork butt yes. like I, I I would imagine those two things are similar yes <laughs> well you know because you know at the end of it all they're going to be insanely delicious yeah so, uh, big day for uh, Rich and the family tomorrow on the 4th of July holiday it's a big time right now in the NBA rich as free agency has begun of course we had a couple of big deals by the way the whole Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves what is this somebody said is this 1985 Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon Twin Towers you know Anthony Towns obviously uh, he, he got his big deal so the question is what are their game plans there but here's here's where I where I get to that deal Gobert came four number ones four number ones for Rudy Gobert all right so the bar has been set and now you have Kevin Durant, one of the top five players in the NBA, with four 
guaranteed years remaining on his deal, four years to the tune of about $200 million, and the Nets have made it clear, yeah, we're, we're open. Let's let's hear what you got. And I believe me, they are getting calls from 29 other teams in the NBA putting their best packages forward. Now, all indications are is that they will take the best package. And now Toronto apparently is one of the teams that could put together the absolute best package for Kevin Durant. Durant has only mentioned two teams that he would like to go to. That would be Phoenix and Miami. How do you think this would all play out, Rich, if indeed they strike a deal with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, And by the way, there is no such thing as a no-trade clause, so the deal would be made. Do you think Kevin Durant would go along with that? It's not like Toronto is terrible. I mean, a couple years ago, they made a deal for an expiring contract named Kawhi Leonard and ended up winning an NBA championship. But if it's not a team that he wants to go to, how do you think Kevin Durant would handle that? I think uh, he would handle it the way he's handled his current contract with the Brooklyn Nets, whichever way he pleases. You know, just because he signed a four-year extension doesn't mean that he's going to be in Brooklyn for four years. Frankly, it doesn't mean he's going to play a single minute of that contract, and that's exactly what's happened here. That's exactly what's transpired. So Kevin Durant's getting his way one way or another. If he wants to play in Toronto, if that's one of his prescribed destinations, then he'll go play in Toronto. But if it isn't high on his list, if it isn't a place where he wants to play, Toronto's not going to make that deal. Because who takes on the risk after that trade? It's the Raptors. So this is the point I was trying to make to you two days ago when we were talking about this, Steve. Players get what they want in the NBA. And the ownership, unfortunately, they've just got to go along with it. Because if Kevin Durant decides to hold out after he gets traded to the Toronto Raptors while the Brooklyn Nets have their picks and they get to move on with their lives and go and spend that draft capital trying to rebuild after Kevin Durant leaves. But Toronto has to deal with him not playing for them and paying his salary along the way. So this is one of those situations where, look, Kevin Durant's going to, if he wants to assert his leverage, even if it's not fair for the Brooklyn Nets. He's basically going wherever he wants. So yesterday was also a big announcement in the NBA with a huge contract extension to Zion Williamson. Could be worth up to $231 million, which, by the way, is all guaranteed money. This is a guy who in his first three seasons in the NBA has played a total of 85 games. Now, you talk about the power of a player. He missed an entire season last year with a foot injury. Remember, he had a torn meniscus his rookie season, and he missed most of his rookie season. Here's what I'm thinking to myself, because they were saying, well, you know, this guy's made an immediate impact in the league. Well, we know he's a great player when he actually plays. But do you know who else won in that deal, in that draft? That was a guy named Jean Morant. Now, at this point right now, if I were to choose, and I actually said this before the draft, but if I could choose between Jean Morant and Zion Williamson to build my team around, I'm going to take Jean Morant every day of the week. So with Zion getting a guaranteed $231 million potentially with incentives, at least $200 million guaranteed, even only playing 85 games in three years, man, you talk about the power of the NBA. No wonder you look at these golfers saying, I want this kind of guarantee. But look at these guys. They're making, they're not even playing and they're getting all this huge money in the NBA. How do I sign up for something like that? 
Um, and there just seems to be no one inside. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. 85 games in three years out of a potential 226 games, and he's rewarded with a fully guaranteed contract. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. But look, there is there is obviously proof that players can either young or old come back from major injury and still have success on the other side. I mean, the current contemporary example of this would be Joel Embiid, who spent the early portion of his career habitually hurt, missing time for the Sixers. And then he's finally gotten his health and he's putting together MVP candidate series uh, season after MVP candidate season. So I guess I guess what you have to do is you have to evaluate whether the juice is worth the squeeze. Like, what's the belief level that Zion Williamson, when 100% healthy, is going to have the talent and the ability to play like an MVP to earn that contract money? Clearly, New Orleans feels pretty good about it. And I, I mean, but this happens, again, at any age in sports. We've seen great comebacks. Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning uh, won a Super Bowl after his neck injury. Adrian Peterson, people forget he had a horrific knee injury in the middle of his career with the Minnesota Vikings, and he came back and was better than ever. So I'm not saying... I'm not saying it doesn't seem ridiculous how much money they're investing into Zion given how little output there's been, but if there's belief that the juice is worth the squeeze, that the athlete is going to be able to overcome these injuries and lead the team to success for several years to come, I get it because the upside on that equation is pretty high up there as opposed to going into the draft and trying to get lucky with the draft pick. All right, well, let me ask you this, though, Rich, because I I don't know how you can gauge something like this, but you had teammates back in the day who coming out of their rookie contract then get that big payday, right? They suddenly get that second contract and suddenly they just disappear. Yep. They just, they check out. They yep. they play it out. There they there's the, the 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 arc to their career just goes into either a flat line or into decline, and it's obvious at that point that once the money's in the bank, eh, the motivation isn't quite there. How do you gauge something like that? I mean, obviously there's exceptions to the rule. A Tom Brady, a LeBron James, there's a long list of guys that get huge contracts and continue to take their game to the next level. Guys that are really either bent on winning championships or just taking their game to that next level, talking about their legacy. Those guys, you know, are are the all-timers. Those are guys we always talk about. The money was instant. We never talk in terms of, well, how much money did Tom Brady make in his career? How much money did LeBron? We don't even talk about that because we're talking about what their legacies are. But is there a way to gauge that? Were you surprised sometimes by teammates that you thought, hey, these guys are all in, and then all of a sudden they get the money and it's like, where are you? Why why aren't you why aren't you doing more to make your game better? Have you been surprised over the years by certain guys that, you know, they don't check out, but I mean they're just they seem to have said, okay, I'm good. No, it it, it never surprises me because that's human nature. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I mean if you think about it, like, why is it so hard to start dieting? Why is it so hard to motivate your, you to go on that run? You know it's the right thing to do for your health. You know you've been eating too much uh, uh, you know, fast food and you're, you're spending too much time on the couch. You know it's only going to be beneficial. It's going to make you live longer, live healthier, live happier, the more healthy you are. But it's, it's impossible sometimes to motivate yourself to do those things. The reason is because the human brain is set up to protect itself, to conserve energy 
energy at every moment. Every moment you can possibly conserve your fat stores and keep yourself because the evolution t- plays a role here. Like your brain says, well, what happens if there's a drought? What happens if there's a famine? You need as much of this fat on your body to feed yourself if there's no food. So we're going to just the 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 whatever you call it, the factory reset mode is laziness for all human beings. So when you get a huge contract playing a violent sport like football or you get a huge contract playing in the NBA where you have 82 games and you got to grind and it's hard on your knees and it's hard on your back and the travel and the you know the everything that goes into it from a, a psychological standpoint being a star player your brain is telling you the whole time just take it easy just take it easy. Yeah, what are but, you doing? Why are you working so hard? I know. Why are you working so hard? So in order to defeat that little voice in the back of your head that's telling you, you don't need to do the extra reps. You don't need to spend an extra 30 minutes in the gym working on your foul shots. Mm-hmm. You don't need to work out that hard in the off season. Go enjoy yourself. You earned it. Everybody has that little voice in their head. Athletes have it too. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard, Steve, to tell it to shut the hell up and let me get back to work, especially when you're staring at hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. Guaranteed money out there. So, again, it's a roll of the dice. you got to have faith. Uh, And that's certainly what the Pelicans have done. All right, on the other side, how much faith should the Lakers have if Kyrie Irving joins LeBron, AD, and company? Should they be confident that the addition of Irving will actually make them a championship contender team? We got an update from Vegas on that fact coming up next. Steve This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Harvey Rich Orberger here, Fox Sports Sunday. I know a lot of people out there are like, guys, when are you going to start breaking down this USFL championship game? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get there, I promise you. At some point, we'll get to the showdown between Philadelphia and Birmingham. But first, we still got to focus here on the NBA. Uh, all indications are that there's not going to be any moves made until Durant figures out where his destination is. But the next shoot of fall will be this uh, Kyrie Irving situation. And by the way, everyone is buying into the fact that it's already a done deal. Kyrie Irving will be a Los Angeles Laker. At some point, they're going to work this all out. So much so, Rich, that Vegas odds for the Lakers to win the NBA championship have gone from 22-1 to 1 to 10-1. to 1. So when you look at Kyrie and his three years in Brooklyn, the numbers look good. I mean, he's averaging 27 points a game, five rebounds, six assists. Last year, by the way, he had his highest three-point percentage of his entire career, 41%, shot 92% free throws. The numbers look good except for one number. Games played. He only played 29 games. I mentioned earlier, Zion Williamson has played only 85 games in three years. In that same span, Kyrie, out of 226 possible games in Brooklyn, played 103. You know, some of it was injury. Some of it was his own doing because of the vaccination situation in New York. So I ask you this. Look at Kyrie Irving offensively is a better player than Russell Westbrook and defensively as well. He's a younger player. I think there's more gas left in the tank. But can you trust Kyrie Irving to show up every day and get the job done if you're the Los Angeles Lakers? Are you willing to roll the dice that Kyrie is that missing piece to put you back into championship contention? No, you can't count on it, but it's let's put it this way. If there's anybody who could potentially help uh, keep the flock together, so to speak, to keep uh, Kyrie on a path and to be his shepherd, it's LeBron James. It's just, you know, from from any of the other 29 franchises in the the NBA right now, you know, outside of Brooklyn, who's moving them, you know, who, who stands the best chance? It's the Lakers. And it's because of his history with LeBron James, you know. Everybody knows who's the alpha dog in that conversation. There's no question. You know, Kyrie and Kevin Durant, Kyrie may in his mind see Kevin Durant as an equal. Well, I'm just I'm just as important to this team as as Kevin is. You know, KD, he can say all he wants to the media and be the, the public leader of this locker room, but I have my own agency as a man, as a star in this league, and I'm going to assert my dominance when necessary. When it comes to the Lakers, when it comes to LeBron James, Kyrie knows exactly where he stands. Kyrie wouldn't have a championship without LeBron. That much we know is true. So, look, and and as important as Kyrie was to that championship, LeBron got a bunch – LeBron had final visit after final visit before he joined Cleveland and went on that run with Kyrie. So, we we get it. We we totally get it. And so that's the reason why I think the Lakers are so interested because – any of any other team would have serious question marks. Serious question marks. Bring, trying to bring Kyrie in and control him. Try to bring Kyrie in and get the maximum potential, um, or I should say, the maximum output from his potential. But there's there's something you know about the relationship between LeBron and Kyrie, <laughs> and you've seen it in the past uh, that I, you could potentially get that output in LA. Here's what I saw in the past after that 2017 season, the year after winning the championship, he demanded a trade. 
Kyrie uh, demanded a trade to get away from LeBron so he could be the guy, and they made the deal with the Celtics. And now, a lot without of kids, Kyrie, and, and, they and, still made the finals the following year with the Cavaliers, but that was the that was the mindset. Well, Kyrie was like, I want out. I don't want to be in the shadow of LeBron James. I want to be the guy. Yep. And they engineered that deal with the Celtics. You remember that was And a lot. lot of kids say the same thing when they're leaving for college. I can't wait to get out of here. I so you can't think wait that's to move behind him. I can't wait to get and be my own man. And then all of a sudden after college, after maybe a year and a half on their own, apartment hopping with a bunch of friends, bunch of roommates trying to find jobs, all of a sudden living back home with mom, getting three squares and a free roof over your head sounds pretty good. So you think, Mike, because Kyrie still strikes me as a me first guy. Like I mean, he I mean he didn't prioritize. He look at he's he always makes it clear he feels he's the smartest guy in the room. He knows a lot of things that you simply don't know or are ignorant of, and I don't see how that's changing at all. Okay, it sounds good. Maybe it's a better situation with LeBron than it was for Durant. By the way, you know people have sort of lost all sight of this whole Durant Kyrie Irving thing. Wasn't it Durant that wanted to play with Kyrie? Wasn't that sort of an arranged marriage in Brooklyn? Oh, no, Let's Katie, bring these two guys together? Yeah, Katie, again, Katie. So why did it fall apart? Well, for multiple reasons. Okay, so it fell apart with LeBron and Kyrie the first time. It fell apart with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's going to be okay with Kyrie and LeBron in a reunion? It just seems to me wherever Kyrie goes... He overstays his welcome. At some point, Kyrie gets back to, well, I'm not getting enough attention. What? What, do you, what do you need out of him if you're L.A.? Well, you, you, need, you need production. for a long time you or need, for a good time? Well, no, exactly. What I well, need is that's production. that's my point. If so I you're talking get, about this like Kyrie Irving is this and that. Yes, he has since he's left LeBron. And he forced his way out, and you're absolutely right. It was because he didn't want to be in LeBron's shadow anymore. But again, when a kid leaves home, Right, A youngster leaves home and he says, I'm going to be my own man or I'm going to be my own woman. And they struggle and they get a taste of what reality is without their parent. And they are forced to make all the decisions and they're forced to make all the answer all the questions. Well, all of a sudden you realize how good you had it. That's what I think is happening here. Look, it wasn't the Lakers who put Kyrie on their list. It was Kyrie who put the Lakers on his list of potential landing spots. So if Kyrie's interested, he knows what's up. He knows what the deal is going to be when he comes back to L.A. There's no secrets here. He's going to be under thumb. Do you think Anthony Davis has any illusions of grand or disillusions of grandeur about what his role on the Lakers is? He's a subject to LeBron. For crying out loud, LeBron's best friend's his agent. So LeBron's the king. He's the king of L.A., and if Kyrie comes back, he's going to be one of his subjects, and Kyrie knows that. So Kyrie, by putting the Lakers on his list of potential landing spots, knew that going into these trade talks. So I know what you're saying. Kyrie's a problem. Kyrie's this, Kyrie's that. And maybe that's all true with 29 other franchises. But we saw how good it could be when Kyrie and LeBron played together as long as he understood his role. And trust me when I tell you, there is no, no, I, there's no question in my mind that he doesn't think going back to L.A., things have changed. Like he's going to be given more control. He's going to have less control. LeBron James in control the whole situation in L.A. And if Kyrie ends up getting traded there, which is something he wants, by the way, because the Lakers were on his list, he knows what's going, what the deal's going to be. All right. Well, I will agree. Look at 
Ky- I'm never questioning Kyrie's skill set. This guy is one of the best basketball players in the NBA. He can do it all. He's got to stay on the court. And by the way, none of this is going to matter unless AD stays on the court. That's that is still the X factor as far as the Lakers returning to championship level status. If they don't have Anthony Davis on the floor, LeBron, Kyrie, it's not going to matter. They need the big man. All right. We got a lot more coming up, but first, let's find out what's trending right now. And guess who's back? Monty's back right now. Monty. I'm back, uh, guys. Yeah, we're I think you're passionate. Can, I know, and I think you're both right. I know that's weird, but you both make excellent points. Really, I you, it, you can't trust Kyrie, but you can't trust him with LeBron. And I think the Lakers are at the point where they have to do something. Clearly, last year didn't Absolutely. work. Absolutely, right? and Russell Westbrook did not work. It was not it's a good not, fit. Yes. And Kyrie is an upgrade. Yes. It's an upgrade, no question. Especially shooting-wise, this team was one of the worst three-point shooting teams. And even though it was limited last year, Kyrie actually had his highest three-point percentage of his entire career. So Agreed. That is a big upgrade. Right. So there's it's it's like a a win-win, lose-lose situation either way. I I don't know. I don't know how you can trust Kyrie, but I understand the Lakers wanting him, especially because, like Rich said, there's a relationship that's a little bit more trustworthy. But Rich, I'm sorry, what you said about 30-year-olds in Disneyland, we are all very upset in the studio, okay? Okay? Well, you guys are acting like I don't have my weird thing. Like, like to have a grown man be actually like losing sleep because he's he's dreaming about smoking a pork butt. I mean, that's as just yeah, as strange no. as putting on your ears and going to Disney in your forties. You have no idea his obsession, Monty. I mean, it really Wait, is over. The yeah, top. you're right. I'm not thinking of pork the way you are. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. But but when you said that, we were all like, um, squeeze, squeeze us. And, and, and also, I've said this. I'm on the record. I've said this to Steve many times. Disneyland is an unbelievable place. <laughs> Disneyland, Disney World, I've never been, but Disney, uh, Disneyland, I've never had a bad time. Disneyland, you can only have a bad time if the weather is crummy or your yeah. kids are. Or that's basically right. it. And that's why I don't go with kids. You know, I just go. To eliminate that being a problem. <laughs> All right, guys. Right now in Major League Baseball, plenty of games, but not everybody's on the scoreboard yet. The Marlins take the edge on the Nationals 1-0. to zero. The Braves are also taking the edge on the Reds 1-0. The Rays took the early lead on the Blue Jays, scoring in the first inning because of a throwing error by third baseman Matt Chapman. The Mets also took an early lead against the Rangers with the uh, homer from Starling Marte in the first inning, but now we're all tied thanks to a homer from Jonah Heim in the third inning. While the Royals are beating the Tigers 5-2, to two, that again is streaming on the Peacock Network with nobody in the booth, nobody calling the game. That's weird. The Angels take a lead on the Astros 1-0 to zero as well. And you guys were talking about the NBA and all of that. Yeah, according to an article from Sportsnet, the Raptors believe that they really have the best package to offer the Nets for all-star Kevin Durant. They believe that they have the best stuff to give them, except one thing is not going to be in the package for sure. Rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes, will not be included in the package. But Pascal Siakam could be included in the deal. And then NBC Philadelphia felt the need to tweet just a couple of hours ago. The Philadelphia 76ers are not pursuing Kyrie Irving. We are not. 
So that is not happening. It seems as though it really is the Lakers and the Nets, even though they keep saying that these discussions are really just preliminary at this point. We also had the British Grand Prix today. Guys, there was a crazy collision, a crazy crash between two drivers. One of the cars ended up on the other side of the tire barriers on turn one. And the only reason it didn't go into the crowd is because there was a fence and the car then got stuck kind of vertically. It was scary. Believe it or not, nobody was hurt. Almost immediately as this was happening, there was a separate incident where protesters went onto the track. Environmental protesters went onto the track and surprisingly, nobody was hurt. Nobody during was the hit. race, during By the, the way, race, during the race, there Whoa. was actually a car that just missed them. That just right, and they they said the only reason it didn't miss them is because of the collision that had happened earlier. Right, there so was like already, red flags already. Yes, yeah. and so they had slowed down, and one car went past the protesters, but nobody was hurt. Listen, if you're gonna protest, I don't know why you would be like, I want to kill myself today. It's different than the protesters from the NBA where you tied yourself up to the court. You nothing was gonna happen to you. Maybe you got hit by a ball, but you wanted to go on the on the racetrack? No, no, no. Yeah, well, not only are you going to kill yourself, you could probably kill the driver the dri- as well. Absolutely nuts. That's not the way to do it. That's not the way to prove a point. Ridic- Back to you guys. All right, Marcy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, ridiculous, you know, ridiculous. Yeah, so they were protesting sanity is what they were protesting. Clearly. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> All right, crazy stuff. Hey, uh, I, I, you know, we're sort of glossing over this deal that uh, sent Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves, where he'll team up with Carl Anthony Towns, who just got his big mega extension with the Timberwolves. By the way, this deal, Timberwolves sent well, everybody. They had one, two, three, four, play, five players and four first-round picks to get a 30-year-old Rudy Gobert to join forces. You know, we were talking about this whole aftermath of the Golden State Warriors ascending back to the top of the NBA with the nucleus of players that they all drafted, you know, with Steph and Clay and Draymond and perhaps, I don't know, uh, a different approach on how to build a team. By the way, Utah, get this, Rich, in 24 hours acquired six first-round picks. Amazing. They're, they're building now around Donovan Mitchell, and so they're going a different tack. So when you, if you were sitting there as an NBA GM right now, and you've got examples of success on both sides, uh, and money's not an object. You know, you've got the money, and you got money to spend. Obviously, everybody's got money to spend with these insane contracts we're seeing around the NBA. Um, if you have the opportunity to unload a guy like Rudy Gobert, who just turned thirty, and acquire a, a boatload of draft picks, uh, as opposed to what Minnesota did and saying, "Hey, we've got a." A superstar here in Carl Anthony Towns. We bring in a guy that's a three-time defensive player of the year. Talk about domination of in the inside game with these big men. Of course, Carl Anthony Towns can knock down threes all day. Which route would you prefer as an NBA GM right now? Well, let, let me first read you a couple of stats to solidify the reason why the Timberwolves did what they did. If I were talking about a player who's hitting 52% of his field goals taken, who's hitting 42% of his three-point attempts, um, who plays a significant proportion of the games that he appears in, and we're talking about this past season, the 2021-2022 season, right? 24 points per game type player. You wouldn't think I was talking about a center. You would think I was talking about a shooting guard. You would think I was talking about a point guard who's a ball hog. Like, Carl Anthony Towns is not a center. Right. 
And so, I mean, don't get me wrong. He has the size of a center. He has the ability to play that position. But his true potential isn't unlocked unless you allow him to have a little bit more autonomy on the court, that he's not tied to being a rim protector, that he's not tied to being a paint player, that you can get him on the perimeter. He's a guy who has some handles too. Look, I think Carl Anthony Towns is one of those guards who's trapped in a center's body, and so bringing in Rudy Gobert is, is, a, is a good decision for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I remember feeling this way, or actually hearing a lot of people feel this way about the additions that – for example, the Milwaukee Bucks made around Giannis. And they were like, how much better did they get spending all that draft capital? You know, sometimes what it takes is just surrounding a player, a star player, with enough competent role players that he can go chase the title that he deserves to go chase based on his ability. And that's the reason why the Bucks were able to manufacture a championship and beat the Suns a year ago. You know, so I look at this and and I think it's actually a pretty good move. I mean, what were Kyrie or what what is a Kyrie Irving and a Kevin Love without LeBron James? Probably a nice Eastern Conference playoff team. But when LeBron came back to the Cavs and they created those three then it really shines. So I think you, I think you've got a chance if you're the Timberwolves, and I think it's a, I think it's a value add bringing a Gobert. Well, I have always leaned, and you know this, to play for now. I've never been a big believer in the future. I mean, if you have a superstar talent like Carl Anthony Towns, and you can add a Rudy Gobert, who's the best rim protecting center in this league by far, guy averages 15 rebounds a game, and especially the interior defense of the Timberwolves was completely. AWOL because Carl Anthony Towns is not that player. No. He's a perimeter player. Um, you know, it's so funny. People are saying, what is this, 1984, going back to when the Houston Rockets, after drafting Ralph Sampson, number one overall, then went after Akeem Olajuwon, by the way, passing on Michael Jordan. But the idea was, is that we got these twin towers, and Ralph Sampson was a guy way ahead of his time. He was 7'4", seven, 7'4", four, seven, four. but like you say, he was like a guard caught in a 7'4 body as opposed to Olajuwon, who was just dominant inside. It worked well. The only problem was Sampson couldn't stay healthy, and that sort of ended their run. They did get to the NBA Finals once with that duel. I think it's a very interesting uh, situation with the Timberwolves did. I like it. But on the other side, Utah is a start over. Quinn Snyder left. They have a new coach. You know, you got a obviously great all-star guard in Donovan Mitchell. Six number ones is great, but you still got to make the right picks. You yeah, see, I mean, it's one thing is, wow, you got six number one picks. Okay, we have, well, then you got to get the right guys. Of yeah, those it doesn't six matter. Picks. It doesn't matter because it's all perspective. It, yeah. it, but, but also, draft capital gives you the ability to go and trade for a great player as well. And we know that's part of it too. Just because you have draft picks doesn't mean you're going to use them. You could get lucky on a great draft pick and then try to build around them by trading off sure. your other draft picks. Look, I, I I defy anybody to find a better six foot ten and and up. Uh, player in the NBA with the kind of handles that Carl Anthony Town has. Carl Anthony Towns can create off the bounce better than any big man in the league, bar none. And that, in- actually, I'll- okay, Kevin Durant maybe is equal, but this dude, just because they, they kind of play in anonymous Minnesota and it's not a TV market we see nationally all the time, and the Timberwolves haven't been great, so we don't we're not as exposed to this. But this dude, he... He's a guard. I'm telling you, he's a guard trapped in a center's body. So bring in Gobert. 
Again, I think it's a great move. I think that this team's better today than they were yesterday. And like you said, if your goal is to win a championship, you can't worry about tomorrow. You got to do what you need to do to go win right now. I think I'm watching the greatest sport I've ever seen in my life today. Bobo uh, jumps in today and he immediately turns it on to the WCT. WCT. Okay. World Championship Tag. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've watched this before. So they put all these obstacles in the way? There are obstacles. I mean, these guys, they don't have any padding. They don't have any. And they are diving all over. Bobo, what am I missing? Is the floor like a What is this? It's tag. I understand it's tag, but I mean, is there any cushion anywhere? No. These guys are literally throwing their bodies around. No, you don't want cushion. I'll tell you why. Because have you ever seen um, have you ever seen videos online of parkour? Do you know what that is? Parkour is aggressive walking, they basically call it. Like where you're walking around a city and you'll like run up a wall and do a backflip, or you jump off a parking structure onto a lower balcony and go into a tumble. So this extreme tag, which I believe is what they used to call it, extreme tag, they mix the two, parkour and tag, and it is one of it to me. This is almost as enthralling as slap fighting. It's which unbelievable. I've gotten into. Well, slap fighting is like the ultimate. But I mean, I'm watching this. <laughs> How are these guys not getting like breaking arms they and are. everything? Are they? Oh, they, they are. Will, uh, yeah, yeah, they could get hurt. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's pretty much is what is what Rich just said. It's parkour tag, and it's in a small confined area. And I mean, I, I guess they get to know the the course. But there's no padding. If you put padding on it, you doesn't you don't have. Is that it. a hard floor? Yeah, it's it pretty much. It's not like rock hard, but it's not a. Jeez. It's like a carpeted floor that just they fall on. <laughs> I mean, that repeatedly. is insane. What I'm watching right there. All right, on the other side, it was a big story in the NFL this week, but we don't know how it was resolved. The latest on Deshaun Watson coming up next. Steve Harvey. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Do you love Selena? Like, really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. 
Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rich Hornberger, Fox Sports Sunday. Well, it took three days, but both sides have presented their case. As far as Deshaun Watson is concerned, the retired federal judge Sue L. Robinson will make a decision here. And there's beginning to be a little bit of a rumbling here that, if anything, Deshaun Watson is going to get a light, if any, punishment. And this really goes back to something we talked about leading up to this. It's from the player's standpoint, they said, let's let's look at similar situations involving owners, and you got one. It was Bob Kraft. It was one of those massage that became more than whatever was, right? Now, again, very different cases, details, a lot of different women, and we got, you know, a lot of women that have been public, obviously, in the Deshaun Watson case. But remember, Bob Kraft, there was no punishment, nothing, zero punishment. To the New England Patriots oh, owner, true. right there, no punishment. No, didn't didn't Robert didn't the Patriots have to sacrifice a draft pick and he got fined? Uh, there were no there was no punishment for Robert Kraft ultimately, none. So no, there was. Uh, he walked away from that situation. Yeah. And and so the, the the report is right now because you know the NFL's been pushing for a minimum one year suspension. We've and we've even talked about this idea that the way that the Deshaun Watson contract was structured that that one year would cost him a million dollars out of a two hundred thirty million dollar guaranteed contract. He might accept that, but there are there are now rumblings that don't be surprised if this judge or this retired judge is possibly going to hand down there's there's been no crime right there's no crime charge here for deshaun watson and you know somewhat of a precedent was set with the bob Kraft situation believe yeah. it or not and and by no, the way you're right you're right i was conflating uh deflate gate with right. the craft massage story which after he wasn't found guilty of criminal charges. The NFL really dropped it and said, yeah, we're not going to go forward with any discipline here. Yeah. So if he got no punishment, which he did not, and apparently with the personal conduct policies by the NFL, they actually supposedly are holding the owners to a higher standard than the players. It is conceivable that this judge rules no punishment. For Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Can you imagine if that happens or a very minimal punishment for Deshaun Watson? What what is the NFL's recourse after this hearing, though? If this individual arbitrator says, here's what I think should be done. I think that Deshaun Watson deserves a zero game suspension, no discipline levied. That's it. And and you're telling me that's it? Like the NFL doesn't have any sort of appeal in this? The appeal sits with Deshaun Watson. Now, Mm. if I were Deshaun Watson, let's say she does decide on giving him, I don't know, four-game suspension. Sure. And you're Deshaun Watson. Are you going to appeal that? Because if you do the appeal, then guess what? It goes back into the hands of Roger Goodell. I wouldn't appeal it. I would just say, fine, okay, that's good. We'll sit out four games. Um, look, I don't think Deshaun Watson wants to sit out a season. I and mean, we were talking yesterday, no. Adam Kaplan, like, if he got a one-year suspension, he's not going to just walk away. No, 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 he's not going to do that. Because remember, he keeps claiming, I didn't do anything wrong here. 
So I'm not going to accept any punishment at all. But if it's only four games or even six games, if that's the way she goes, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I will take it. I'm not going to put it back in the hands in an appeal process to uh, Roger Goodell or some designate that's going to make a decision on that. I'll take it. But that that seems to be where this may be going. That you be that people are going to be thinking, oh, this retired judge, she's going to be harsh and everything else. But again, since there was no punishment at all, and she's never tried any case involving the NFL, she's just going by the books. All right, yeah, as the precedent been set. Well, there was a massage situation that went further than that, and the NFL offered I, no punishment. I'm pretty sure the league has an appeal here. I'm you pretty think? sure the league. Yeah. So okay. who are they appealing to? Well, here's here's the way it's written because this is this was my confusion over this. Okay. So, uh, three days ago, ESPN article, if either the union or league appeals the decision, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell or his designee will issue a written decision that will constitute full and final and complete disposition of the discipline. Occasionally interrupted here <laughs> on Fox Sports Sunday, Steve Arbiter, Rich Orber. Rich was just, you know, on a, on a roll there. We're talking about Deshaun Watson and uh, now reports that the punishment could be lighter than longer, much of the uh, displeasure of the NFL. Do they have any recourse? And we're all just sitting here hanging on your every word, Rich. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like we just hit the top of the hour. Like we didn't, you know, it was just – We didn't even get to hear the completed thought right there. Um, So you've been you've been digging into this, okay? Yeah. yeah, And and Aren again, I I, look to do a reset here. So we've been talking about Deshaun Watson. There was three days of both sides presenting their case, the NFL and the Players Association. This retired judge Sue Robinson is going to have a a decision made when we don't have a timetable yet, but at some point. But apparently, there's been a lot of word that based on the fact that Robert Kraft received no punishment at all for a massage incident. Now, it's obviously very different, but there, you know, it still was a massage that went too far. That was sort of the whole story behind Bob Kraft. Well, and there was also the video of the event. Correct. And so anytime there's video footage of anything, it makes it more of a public relations disaster. But there was no punishment at all. And she may, according to reports, look at that. That is sort of the precedent being set on Deshaun Watson. So we all know that if Deshaun Watson is level with any kind of punishment, there is an appeal process that would end up in the hands of the commissioner. But what if it's a decision that the league is not happy with? Like if he gets no suspension or a minimal suspension uh, and the league's not happy with it because, well, let's face it, it might be a PR nightmare for the NFL do they have any recourse, Rich? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I mean, anybody who thinks that any like that this hearing is a final say is misinformed. And the fact of the matter with the new CBA, and this has been public since the new CBA was struck, gave, again, full disciplinary control to the commissioner. You know, so everybody's getting lost in the sauce talking about this hearing like it is some sort of bearing on what the discipline will be. Because if Deshaun doesn't like the decision, he appeals. And who gets to make the final decision? Roger Goodell or one of his designees, which means that he'll hire somebody inside the NFL to make the decision if he doesn't want to catch all the flack. If the NFL doesn't like the decision during this hearing, what happens? The NFL launches their appeal, and who gets to make the final designation? Roger Goodell 
or his designee. Well, wait a second. So let's, the NFL say, is but, still in control of the discipline here. Okay, it does but wait not a matter. second. Hold on. Okay. Okay. So part of the new collective bargaining agreement was to remove the idea that Roger Goodell was judge, jury, and executioner, right? Right. And, and it so did that's not why that this is the why players negotiated away the ability to control any sort of discipline. No, but what what happened was the reason that this retired judge was brought in was specifically for that. But like you said, if the thing goes to an appeal process, it does end up with Steve, Roger Goodell. Steve, I, it's a dog and pony show. This is what I've been saying. The hearing, the hearing doesn't matter. So why the, are we even going through this charade right now? If whatever this woman rules ultimately has, either way, whether it's a harsh punishment or no punishment, that ultimately it still ends up in the hands of the commissioner. Well, again, I this is the this is something that the players have been quote unquote fighting for a very long time. And they still haven't gained control over the discipline process. They still haven't gained any, you know, equality or equity over this situation. Roger Goodell is still firmly in control. The only way, the only way that this hearing matters is if, A, somehow the findings during this hearing sway the NFL one way or the other with the discipline they're going to enforce. Like one way or the other, the NFL may may go through this process with a third-party arbitrator, somebody who's not familiar with either side, who's trying to be as fair as possible in asserting discipline in this workplace. And if the NFL is somehow enlightened by this process and the appeal comes through on Deshaun's side, maybe they could be convinced to go a little lighter on the sentencing. All right, so yeah, go ahead. Or or if the NFL doesn't like the... doesn't like the outcome of this hearing and then the NFL appeals, maybe something that was brought up during this hearing changes their mind and they assert discipline differently. But the brass tacks of this is this is just a dog and pony show. This is just all for show. This is just this is just something that if somehow mm, mm-mm, if mm-mm. this is just somehow that both sides see eye to eye on this the buck is then passed to the third party arbitrator and they say well the the discipline is what it is because the 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 hearing came out to provide this discipline. Okay, but I, I, it's going to be the rarity in these occurrences. All right, you're right about this. The league can again appeal the decision if they, if they deem it's not enough, and the commissioner can can increase the punishment. Here is one thing though about the process in bringing this retired judge into the process. Judge Robinson's factual findings are binding in an appeal process. Right. In other words, if she imposes little or no punishment, a decision based on those written findings could make it very difficult to justify increasing the punishment. Okay? So that's that's what, one Steve. thing that comes from this. This is <laughs> this is this is legal whatever mumbo jumbo whatever it is, but that's what they're saying right this now is, this is, is just, that no, any factual findings she finds are a binding in an appeal process. Right, right. What does that mean? It means that if if she finds anything, right, to to suggest that the NFL should give Deshaun Watson a lighter sentence then it has to be considered when the commissioner makes his ultimate determination on Deshaun Watson's discipline. Well, can Watson then let's, let's say let's say she hands down a four-game suspension, and then uh, Roger Goodell says no, it's a year. Can he then appeal that? Who Deshaun? Yeah. No. After after the appeal is heard, then it's final. Wow, that is unbelievable. 
It's it's just the way it is. Again, the players, this is Article 46 of the new CBA. I had to look it up because I've been hearing people talk about this who are not informed about this or just reading headlines for a very long time now, acting like this hearing has any bearing on Deshaun Watson. It's Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell and the NFL still control all discipline. This hearing, it is just pomp and circumstance. If Roger Goodell wants Deshaun Watson to miss a year, come hell or high water, Deshaun Watson's going to miss a year. Now, if Deshaun Watson wants to get crazy, if Deshaun Watson wants to come after the league, a la Colin Kaepernick, and then sue the league and then act as if, you know, somehow he has a case to be brought up to the Supreme Court potentially. Like, you know, I mean, this could go as crazy as you want it to go, where, you know, he feels like he's being treated unfairly in the workplace and there needs to be some sort of legal precedent set. Well, he can sue the NFL for as much or, or as often as he wants. Anybody can sue anybody in this country. But I don't see that happening. What I see happening here is the NFL, who, by the way, wants Deshaun Watson to have his name cleared and for have Deshaun Watson to move on and have a great career. That's what they want because that's better for the NFL. It was better for the NFL that Tyree Kill turned out to be a Pro Bowl wide receiver getting past all of the legal trouble that he got in with his the mother of his child who became his fiancée, um, with Joe Mixon, with Kareem Hunt, with a potentially future Hall of Famer Ben Roethlisberger. Anytime there is any sort of assault or sexual misconduct against a woman, the NFL is praying that A, the player is going to get past it quickly, B, serve whatever suspension is levied quietly, and then C, play well so everybody forgets along with them. That's that's what has happened classically with the NFL. So I don't I don't see Deshaun Watson getting the book thrown at him like Trevor Bauer in the MLB. I don't see that. I think he's going to get maximum a year. He's probably going to appeal it if the hearing says a year or something less than that. And then everybody's going to move on from this because that's what the NFL has done typically over every single one of these types of stories, including Robert Kraft's. Wouldn't it be something if the woman ruled a year and then he appeals and then upon further review, we're going to make it an indefinite suspension? It's going to be a minimum of a year, but until all these civil suits are, if if it takes more than a year to resolve these civil suits or any further suits come your way, you will continue to be suspended without pay. Well, that's what happened with Kareem Hunt, and we saw how that went. He was put on the commissioner's exempt list. It was an indefinite suspension. And then, look, we we just know how And then the Chiefs released him. Right. Thinking that he wasn't going to be around. Next thing you know, he's in a Browns uniform. Yeah, another example. Look, you know, it's just I I understand that these these discussions they get into murky waters because people rightfully so have strong opinions about this stuff. And I do too. Look, I you know, I have I have a sister you know, I have a wife. I, I, you know, I treat women a certain way. I, the hope is that others respect women. And look, these allegations are severe. But what the NFL does with this is their own business. It is. It really is because his suspension is a part of their business model. All they're suspending Deshaun Watson for is because people think that these allegations are horrific and distasteful. And as a result of it, the NFL is worried about losing corporate sponsors if they don't take action. Well, there's another aspect to this, and that is if it does come down an appeal process, the other owners around the league are saying, don't do the Browns any favors after that contract they gave Watson, Roger. 
they're not exactly in our favor right now, what they did to the uh, structure of contracts for quarterbacks moving into the future. So we'll see when this all plays out. Uh, I'm going to guess within – it's not. It's going to happen sooner rather than later. I think a decision is going to be made fairly soon uh, on the Deshaun Watson situation. All right, on the other side, we're going to check in on a little Major League Baseball talk. The MLB Network's own John Paul Morosi is going to join us coming up next. Steve Irwin, Rich. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm gonna talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic, and then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hamburger Fox Sports Sunday. All right, let's get a little baseball talk in right now as we are nearing the All-Star break right around the corner. And joining us right now, as he so graciously does, he is the star, the star of the MLB Network. He does NHL Network. He is our Fox Sports Radio MLB insider. He is John Paul Morosi. JP, big plans for the 4th of July holiday for you? Uh, Stephen Rich, good afternoon. Happy 4th of July weekend to you and your families. Uh, my plans this weekend are what I'm doing precisely right now, which is spending time on beautiful Lake Huron with my family here in the great state of Michigan. So uh, as soon as I as soon as I worked out with Ryan in, in the break to make sure that my my uh, phone quality and connection was good here, I was a happy man. That means I could work from the lake. And join you as always. So I hope you guys are having a, a wonderful and restful weekend as well. Well, we are indeed. Uh, let me ask you this. When it comes to baseball rivalries, how do you define a rivalry? And the reason I'm bringing this up is that a year ago at the start of the season, the most talked about new rivalry in baseball was the Dodgers and the Padres. But this is a rivalry that's gone sideways. The Dodgers rattling off 14 wins in the last 15 games against the Padres. So, how do you define rivalries in baseball? It's a great question. I think that certainly you have the traditional rivals. 
many of them geographic, whether it's Cubs, Cardinals, Yankees, Red Sox, Mets, Phillies has certainly had their share of memorable moments, Dodgers, Giants over the years, of course. And I think that that's where I'll begin in talking about the Dodgers and Padres because I think even though proximity favors the Dodgers and Padres being a great rivalry, the reality is the Dodgers and Giants have a rivalry that goes back to New York a century ago or longer. And in so many ways, Steve, as, as good as the Padres or at least as compelling as they have been the last several years, that's a century's worth of history that they're never going to be able to overcome, in my view. Um, and so the Dodgers' number one rivalry historically is always going to be the Giants. And so I think that, on some level, drags down the overall potential of what this rivalry could look like in the future. That being said, even this year and in part to last year, we have not seen the Padres at their very best with respect to Tatis being on the field and able to go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers. So I think without having their full cast of, of players and talent there, it's going to be hard for the Padres to topple the Dodgers and, and even be on equal footing with them, to be honest with you. I think if, if you're going to talk about what it would take for the Padres and Dodgers rivalry to be at least on par with the way the Dodgers-Giants rivalry feels right now, I, I think you would have to have years of close one-versus-two pennant races, multiple postseason series that are competitive. It's going to take years, I believe, for that rivalry to get anywhere close to the equal footing of, of the Dodgers and Giants. And finally, I'll make this point, that rivalries do not necessarily have to be strictly geographic. I think the Astros and Yankees, that's a rivalry. And I was there at Yankee Stadium for part of that series between Houston and New York. That felt like a rivalry series. That felt like it used to feel 15, 16 years ago walking into Yankee Stadium for a Red Sox-Yankees game. It had that same feel to it. And, of course, uh, it was interesting just to watch the, the documentary about the Red Wings and the Avalanche, one that I was aware of certainly as a kid and then as a young professional. I, I, it doesn't have to be your next-door neighbor for it to be a rivalry. Detroit and Denver was as intense of a rivalry as we had in sports for a long time. And so I, I think it's, it's there for the Padres, but they simply have to play better, guys, in the rivalry games. You know, sports are an interesting thing because I think everybody gets tucked away in their corners sometimes. Like, if you aren't a tennis fan, you may miss how great Serena Williams has been, right? If you're not a baseball fan, you are missing out because Shohei Otani is doing things that no other player has done. I mean, through the month of June, posting a 2-5 war, which I'm not even 100% sure how war is tabulated, but some some players don't even earn that over a full season. He did that in the month of June. But some of these stats are alarming. 26 and two-thirds inning with a with a .34 ERA and over 12 strikeouts per nine. And during that, that time slash 344, uh, 436 and 719 with six homers and 17 RBIs. I, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't even know how to describe what we're watching, JP, so I'm going to ask you to help me. Have we ever in baseball's history watched somebody do what Shohei Otani is doing right now? No, we have not. 
And even the comparisons that have been made to Ruth are not fair to Shohei <laughs> because he's doing things the Bambino never did. And, and I'll say this as well, and this is, I think, where the comparison gets really interesting. You look at last year's season. Otani was an all-star, of course a silver slugger, and he won the MVP award in part because of the duality of what he does, both offensively and defensively on the mound, of course. And pitching-wise, he is better now than he was last year. His ERA is half a run lower. His strikeout rate is even higher. His strikeout-to-walk rate is almost twice as good now as it was a year ago. So on the mound, he's better. I'll let's just make that a very clear statement. He is a better pitcher right now than he was last year. Offensively, at least if you look at some of the underlying numbers, the slugging percentage is down a little bit. But I, I think when you look at the total package of what he's been able to do, it is, I think the end output is tracking very closely to what he did a year ago. And this is where I think the MVP conversation is going to be fascinating because a year ago we did not have an American League team as dominant as the Yankees are right now within which we have a dominant Aaron Judge who, depending on how the second half goes, could put himself in range to hit 60 home runs or maybe even more. So if you have a Yankee playing on a team that is likely to be the best team in baseball this year, and if he eclipses a Babe Ruth mark or a Roger Maris mark and his team wins the division, and if the Angels finish third, that's where it's going to be a really interesting vote. And to be candid with you, I don't know what I would do. If, if, if Let's say Judge hits 60 and Otani keeps on doing exactly what he's doing. That is a classic case where I really think there is no wrong answer. Because if Aaron Judge is the best player, record-setting or close to it, on the best team, my gosh, it'd be hard to say, well, Aaron Judge doesn't deserve it. Of course he deserves it. And I think the same thing – I think what I'm saying here is Judge this year is on track to be an even better candidate for the MVP than Vlad was a year ago. And that's where I think last year clearly the answer for me was Shohei. This year, if it's Judge at this pace and Shohei at the pace that he's on right now, I am really torn as to what direction I would go. And I think it, it would be totally a coin flip, and uh, we'd have to wait to see how the how things finish up there the last couple of weeks of the season. So growing up, and when I did way back in the Stone Age, um, I was obsessed with baseball. I was also obsessed with the baseball all-star game. And I got into researching all-star starting lineups. I mean, this is 50 years ago I was getting into this kind of stuff. But as the years have gone on, I I have come to the thought process to, to evaluate a player's career the least significant thing on his resume to me is all-star games. I mean, there are certain guys like Rod Carew and Cal Ripken that literally got voted a starter every single year, regardless of what they were actually doing on the field. We had guys at the end of their careers, you know, the, the Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, when he was with the Brewers get, making an all-star team. It, it's a fan's game. I have no problem with that. But how much do you factor in all-star game appearances or selections in evaluating a guy's career? You know, it's a great question, Steve. I think it's, it is 
far down my list, and it's probably moving further down the list uh, every year because of exactly what you say. It's, uh, I'll use one example. Alan Trammell, of course, I, my, my feelings on Trammell, and, of course, the great San Diego native, uh, he is a Hall of Famer and deservedly so. And it does not make sense to me that we should have to judge Alan Trammell's all-star appearances or the number of times he started in the all-star game uh, because, of course, he was playing in the American League at the same time as Cal Ripken Jr., one of the most popular players in the history of the game. So it's not fair to evaluate Trammell's Hall of Fame resume in the context of how many times the fans wanted to see Ripken ahead of him or vice versa at the All-Star game. That is totally arbitrary and not even necessarily a very fair measure of his value as a player. So I'm much more apt to consider whether it's wins above replacement or other numerical criteria for a long stretch of time in which he has played as opposed to all-star selections. Now, MVP awards can be helpful uh, because then that says, okay, the, the voters believe he was the best player in the league at a given time. But I'm, I'm more likely to look at how many times did he finish in the top five or the top ten. For example, back in 87, the American League voters made a mistake. They voted George Bell as the AL MVP and should have been Trammell. And I think for a long time, Trammell paid the price of a mistake by voters 35 years ago. That's just not, not fair. And so for me, I, I, I look at that as one element of context. I think certainly if a, if a player is in there 10, 12 times, think about the number of times Pudge Rodriguez was in the All-Star game. It's just it's further affirmation and evidence of the player's currency and, and persona in the game. But by no means should I say, well, he only made three all-star appearances and therefore he's not worthy of the Hall of Fame. I, I, to me, it is, it is one of the last couple things you might glance at, but it is not at all a, a key criteria for me, Steve, because it's exactly what you say. It should be a, a showcase for the fans to celebrate our national pastime on a Tuesday night in July when it is the only thing on American sports television nationwide that, to me, is a special time of the year to, to focus. I want to see Julio Rodriguez in the All-Star game this summer, the electrifying young center fielder in Seattle. That is the time and the occasion to introduce these players to the larger audience. So we're here at midseason. You know, you look at the standings. You look at some of these teams. Is there any surprises out there, JP, that you didn't really see coming this preseason? A couple things. I think, number one, uh, my hometown Tigers, I expected much more out of them. Uh, I think the Seattle Mariners have finally started to pick things up and be better. I thought the Angels were going to be, especially based on how they started, a more competitive team at this juncture. I, I expected more from the Miami Marlins. Uh, but I, I think San Diego has in some ways overachieved given the, the key absences that they've had from their club this season. I think those those are probably the key things that jump out to me. I would say this, too, the, the overall competitiveness of Cleveland, of Minnesota, has impressed me. And the White Sox have disappointed me. That, that's a team that we've all been expecting big things from them. And, and you look at Tony La Russa, already a Hall of Famer, coming back into the dugout. This was not a 15-year move, a 10-year move for the White Sox. This was to try to win a World Series in two, three years at the very most. 
and the White Sox have spent a large part of this season under 500. I think that, to me, is a team that went all in, and so far it is not working at all. And I would want to see some more results from that club um, before the, the trade deadline, if, if I'm management there, to even feel like they have enough of a chance that it's worthwhile to make trades and bolster that roster ahead of the second half. Well, JP, we're going to allow you to get back to your family to continue your 4th of July weekend celebration. As always, we appreciate you taking time out to hang out with us on this Sunday. We'll talk to you next week, JP. Very good. All the best, guys. Just have a beautiful and safe uh, holiday weekend to all of our listeners. And as, as we celebrate our country this weekend, I just want to thank you both for always keeping me part of the family and, and keeping this conversation going all season long. It really means the world to me, guys. Thank you so much. You're the best, JP. Thanks so much. The great John Paul Morosi. Talk a little Major League Baseball. Yes, it's uh, July, right? The Midsummer Classic coming up. But uh, I think he and I and you are all in lockstep uh, as far as the importance of the uh, All-Star Game. It's an exhibition. You know, fans vote in people they want to see. Great. I have no yeah. problem. But it, it in no way either solidifies a, a legacy or anything else. It just stands alone as a, a day when you say, I like, I want to see him play. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I have no problem with that. All right, let's find out what's trending right now. Monsi is uh, standing by once again. Do you even watch the baseball star game, Monsi? Is that I, of I, any interest to you? Yeah, I, but I agree. It's an exhibition game. It's for fun. There right. are some players who are hot, and you just want to see them play with other players that are hot for the season. Right. With you. Totally. I should. I don't think it should matter when it comes to any other stats, really. Yeah. I mean, for instance, you got Albert Pujols, right? Right. Who's had one of the great careers in baseball history, and by all indication, he wanted one final year with the Cardinals. Obviously, he's not an all-star player right, right now, right. but I wouldn't mind making a spot for him to 100%. sort of have the showcase of the all-star game. I, I'd have no problem with that. Exactly. I'm with you totally, 100%. Well, I do have a question for you guys since we are reaching the all-star break. Now, the best team in baseball, the Yankees, are currently losing to the Guardians. But earlier this week, I, I p- proposed the question to Dan Byer and Aaron Torres. Mm. Do you guys think that Aaron Judge is going to reach 60 homers this season? Well, he certainly can. Right. I but, mean, the pace he's on, uh-huh. my my guess is no, just because historically that number is ridiculous, I mean, coveted, yeah. but often not ascertained. That totally. is, it seems like an impossible number. Uh, my favorite stat of all time is that Sammy Sosa hit at least 60 home runs three times and never led the league in any of those seasons in home runs. Ridiculous. Beaten out by uh, Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. Right now he's projected at 59 home runs. Well, let me ask you a question, Monty, yeah. since there's so much controversy about the McGuire, Sosa, and Bonds numbers. Yeah. Um, if Aaron Judge were to hit 62 home runs, which would be one more than what Roger Maris hit, uh-huh. would you consider that the legit home run record? Yes. Yes, I would. Mm. Yes, I would. But I still don't, I wouldn't take away what the others have done. They still did it. Like, I, as much as I hate to say it, I mean, Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. Let's let's be real. Oh, yeah. He should be in the Hall of Fame. No question. No, no question. That's so stupid stupid to me that he's not but I guess yeah we could say that Aaron Judge officially without anybody wanting to complain about it we'd give him the title 
but you know the others should. The well, others. the Yankees are delay claim to it because right. you know they had Babe Ruth sixty and the Maris sixty one. They had this record forever, forever, yeah. And then it was you know taken out by uh, McGuire and then by Bonds. But yeah, if it were returned to a Yankee, I think the Yankees have played it would, big. Yeah, they they definitely would. But yeah, those others should be in the Hall of Fame. That's a, that's a stupid discussion. I don't get it. I don't understand. Anyway, other games going on right now. The Royals are beating the Tigers seven to four. The Marlins are beating the Nationals two to zero. But that's not it. Unfortunately for the uh, Nationals, Juan Soto exited the game. He was caught in a rundown between the third base and home in the fourth inning, and then he carefully like walked off. He was tagged out. He was seen flexing his knee earlier in the game, but he did exit and has not returned. Juan Soto for the Nationals, who are down right now with the Marlins 2-0. The Brewers are still up on the Pirates 2-0. Nothing has changed there. While the Braves, oh, the Braves, the Braves are ridiculous. In the last 29 games, they are 23-6. and six. They have hit 57 homers and they are currently beating the Reds 1-0. We had a tie game for the Rays and the Blue Jays. That's not it at all. The Rays are up 7-1 now, while the Mets are beating the Rangers 4-1. And the Astros now on the scoreboard, but the Angels are still beating the Astros 2-1. In NBA news, there were rumors that Goran Dragic was probably going to end up with the Mavericks. You know, he's Slovenian, just like Luka. They actually just played a game uh, with Slovenia to beat Croatia. Doncic had 21 points, 8 rebounds, 10 assists. Dragic had 19 points in just 22 minutes of play. Well, that's not happening. He is officially signed a one-year deal one-year deal with the Chicago Bulls worth $2.9 million, according to The Athletic. So officially not going to the Mavericks. Another NBA uh, tidbit here is that apparently a lot of teams have been trying to reach out to the Utah Jazz making offers for Donovan Mitchell. They have shut that down. That is not happening. They do not want to start over. They are not rebuilding. They are committed to moving forward with Donovan instead of starting over. And that was said today on SportsCenter with Woe Janowski. So, nope, Donovan's not going anywhere, even though they got rid of Rudy Gobert and the Timberwolves gave them, gave them everything. I mean, what do you get for Kevin Durant if that's what you get for Rudy Gobert? Well, I don't get whole, it. I mean, I mean again, the, the bar's been set when you give up Ridiculous. five players and four number ones for Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. I mean, you would have to, I don't know, hand over the whole franchise for a guy like Kevin Durant? The whole country? I don't, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh, I, I don't mean, know. This is, it's going to be but fun. I, I guarantee you this. There isn't a single team in the NBA that isn't going to check in. Right. Especially since Durant has four years remaining on his contract. Totally. You know, it's not like the Kawhi Leonard situation where he was a walkaway free agent and Toronto rolled the dice and, of course, came up big by winning a championship. With Durant, you're getting a guy with four years on his contract. Right. It's all right. signed. Done. I know. So. Yeah. Asking prices through the roof. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what it what will be the final price mm. for Durant. Back to you guys. All right, Monsi. Well, <laughs> uh, and, and let's stay with that for a second here, Rich, because we talked a little bit about this earlier and and the power of the play around the NBA. So even you're, you're of the mindset that even if a, a team other than Phoenix or Miami, which are the only two teams that he's openly talked about having a desire to play with, if it's if it's anyone other than that, he may balk at it, even though there's not a no-trade clause in his contract. So if you were the Nets, what you should be focusing in on is, let's just pit the Heat with the Suns, and let's right. see which one of those two teams we can get the most out of so that there is no real discussion once a deal is made whether or not Durant is happy with his desired destination. Yeah, look, I, I mean, anybody who 
says things like, oh, well, team X or Y can't trade for player X or Y, they're just not being creative enough because where there's a will, there's a way. And when we're talking about star players, teams will oftentimes move heaven and earth and find a way to get the deal done if it's possible or conceivable that they can. And so, and, and really that if is a small if. I think it, the, the, the biggest lift is getting everybody on board inside of a franchise to think that's the right decision for the future of your franchise. So if Miami, if, if there's a consensus that Kevin Durant could change our fates and what do we have to do to get him? I mean, you've seen it with Gobert, perfect example. We've seen it in the past. A team will basically leverage their entire future for an opportunity to take a run out of title in the short term. So, yeah, I think what you said is exactly correct. And Kevin Durant and his agent, they're no dummies either. They know how this game works. If you can list a couple of teams, at very least two, if not more, to start the infighting, to start the bidding process. Well, t- listen, uh, that's a really nice deal you're offering, but, geez, you know, the Nets get on the phone with the Suns next day and they say, hey, look, you know, the Heat really want them, so you're going to have to up your offer. And then they go back to the Heat and they say, well, the Suns just countered and it's looking really good. And you create that bidding process. Kevin Durant, as long as he ends up at one of the teams that he wants to go to, I'm sure he doesn't care or mind as much just as long as the deal gets done. So, yeah, yeah, I think not only is it possible that he lands in a destination that he wants to be, but also I think it's very possible this sets the Brooklyn Nets up nicely for whatever's next for them as well. All right. Speaking of Kevin Durant, as we're having the discussion right now, it just dawned on me that thanks to Kevin Durant, I'm about to flip-flop. I'm about to flip-flop. About what? You'll find out coming up next. Bobo is... There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Do you love Selena? Like, really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. 
Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, spinning the tunes today. He came in, Rich, and actually asked me, well, you know, what kind of music do you want? And you know as well as I do, I have no preference. I just, what I whatever makes Bobo feel good makes us feel good. No That's question right. about that. And it definitely makes us feel good. Uh, Steve Harvin, Rich Ornberger, Fox Sports Sunday. All right, I, I mentioned on the tease that I have flip-flop. So there's all this discussion about Kevin Durant, right? Yeah, what's going on with you? Okay, so let's let's look back at his career. So you remember he was in OKC, and they had this this trio of young stars, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, and they just couldn't hold it together. Mm-hmm. And then this latest episode in Brooklyn with Kyrie and James Harden, they just couldn't hold it together. Right. But Kevin Durant joined a Golden State team led by Steph and Clay and Draymond, and he fit instantly. And they won championships and might have won three in a row had it not been for Durant being hurt at the end and then Clay getting hurt as well. As you know, I, I've not been a big fan of the Golden State Warriors. Okay. But based on Kevin Durant, uh, who is great a player as he is, and no doubt one of the greatest talents ever to play the game, but he has to be under the right conditions to be able to perform at the highest level, which he was, obviously, in Golden State, back-to-back NBA Finals MVPs. How does that happen? Is it because of Kevin Durant? Well, Kevin Durant's always the same player, but he was surrounded by the kind of players that truly put team first. So I told you going into the Celtics-Warriors Finals, I was really torn because, of course, I've always hated the Celtics growing up as a Lakers fan, but I'm not a fan of the Warriors But now that the Warriors have done what they've done without Kevin Durant and what they did before Kevin Durant is win a championship, I got to give them credit. In fact, I will even go so far as to say I like what they represent because because that trio right there, that trio of players, truly put team first. And because of that, they've had this amazing success. And the fact... That when you think back to Steph Curry, who was coming off back-to-back MVP seasons, unanimous MVP, the only guy ever to do that the year before Durant uh, arrived, and take a step back to allow Durant to do what he does, and it worked ultimately for winning back-to-back championships, that's on Steph Curry. So I, I am going to state right now that as we continue the discussion of Durant, and this is not to diminish Durant, it's just the fact that he needs to ultimately go to a team where he fits, but you have to be surrounded by players that allow you to do your thing. And the Warriors did that for Kevin Durant. And for that, I give them an immense amount of credit. Yeah. You know, look, let's face it. If it weren't for Draymond Green, who part of the reason why he's great is he's difficult. Like, Draymond Green is one of the more exceptional players. Uh, that we've gotten to know over the past decade to 25 years in the NBA. I mean, he he constantly moments. I understand that his finals visit wasn't all that great. Uh, he had a, a couple of down nights. But overall, the body of work represents what is one of the better role players of all time in this league. 
uh, defensively just an absolute harasser. But the problem is that energy does come with drawbacks. And one of the drawbacks was driving Kevin Durant out of town. I mean, they can make up on the other side of their differences, but that was just way too much personality to keep together in one locker room, except for what was a really bright, shining, you know, two or three year time period. And then it went supernova and and Kevin Durant wanted out. I I just look at it this way. I, I think that I think that we oftentimes get lost in the moments we're sickened by greatness you know people are so tired of seeing Tom Brady's greatness people get got tired of seeing Tiger Woods's greatness during his reign over the PGA Um, you know and it happens with teams the Golden State Warriors of this generation the the Chicago Bulls when I was growing up as a kid people just get sick of it so as a reaction to that you get you lose how special it truly is All right, coming up on the other side, not one, but two of the biggest sporting events of the year. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hope everybody's having a wonderful 4th of July holiday weekend out there. I know a lot of barbecues are fired up. Rich is going to be all over that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all over that. When we're done with this show, I know Rich is going to start uh, getting everything ready for... Now, you can do barbecue today and tomorrow, or are you just really preparing for the big day tomorrow? So tomorrow and Tuesday, actually, because we got some people coming in town for the kids' birthday parties. Summer babies, they are the four-year-old and the seven-year-old. Well, soon to be four-year-old. Um, so we're going to have some family coming in town. So t- tomorrow, I'm going to be queuing. I'm going to be doing pulled pork. Mm. And then mm. Tuesday, it's ribs. But what's interesting is uh, today I'm actually setting up the brine for the pulled pork. So the way this works is you buy a gigantic like brontosaurus cut of meat, like a like a 19 pound pork shoulder, right? And then you boil up some you know apple cider or apple juice with a couple of spices, some thyme, uh, some peppercorn, some salt, obviously, and you throw it into basically a bucket or a large container, and then you just let that you let that pork shoulder soak, just soak in it for 24 hours if you can and then it's just juicier on the other side of the cooking Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and then i'm going to smoke it probably uh, uh, a pork shoulder that size probably going to be in the smoker for 12 hours 13 hours something like that oh it's going to be so so good all (laughs) right so and by the way again check out our tiktok hartman and rich o um we post a lot of eating uh episodes that we had we had a pot pie the other morning I thought oh, like yeah. a, a pot pie to start your day. Uh, you and I also had a little cold brew yeah, it was to nice. start our day. Little little tall boy IPA. <laughs> that, alongside, was, that was so good. Uh, alongside some savory pies. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. if you want to know what that looks mm. like, go to Hartman and Rich O on TikTok. All That's right, so uh, we've been talking about big stories going on. Obviously, the complete uh, flip-flop. Uh, everything is going on in college sports right now with USC and UCLA, the latest to make the huge move, leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten and what's in store. Talking about NBA free agency and what's going on with Kevin Durant. We talk a little Major League Baseball. I've been saving the best for last, though, because here we are, final hour here on this uh, edition of Fox Sports Sunday, and we got not one but two two major 
sporting events to come on this 4th of July holiday. Let's start with the first, and that is we are about three and a half hours away from kickoff of the first USFL championship game. It's going to be (laughs) at Tom Benson Stadium there in Canton, Ohio. It's going to be Birmingham taking on Philadelphia. You know, all kidding aside, they've already gotten to where – the Alliance of American Football, and you're in the broadcaster's wing of the uh, Alliance of American Football Hall of Fame. That's right. Did not get to the finish line their first <laughs> year. Uh, the the launch of the XFL, uh, relaunch of the XFL because of COVID and everything else, they didn't get to the finish line. But the USFL did. And we can have some fun. You know, all the games have been played in Birmingham. Obviously, Birmingham with the home ultimate home field advantage when every game is you're the only home team in the entire league. And now they're in the championship game, although these games uh, in the semis in uh, Canton. Um, but the fact is, despite the fact that there were few crowds, look at some of these numbers. Uh, 700, 800,000 viewers per game. I'll be curious to see how many people watch this championship game tonight. What kind of numbers? Fox, of course, will carry the game tonight. But as we come to this championship game, and I've told you, people that I've been told, 99.999%, we will have a year two of the USFL all the games won't be in Birmingham. There'll probably be a second site, maybe a third site, but they will, you know, slowly expand the venues as far as this league is concerned. But what what is your takeaway from year one of the return of the USFL? Well, my two major takeaways is it's a success because they made it to a season two, assuming that everything goes right here with um, this next round of financing. They're looking to raise something to the tune of of 150 to 200 million dollars um finance to finance the next season and assuming that goes well which again based on the television ratings they were able to gather they're going to have a season two which is a, a huge win the other win's going to be something that's more of a long play and you're going to see that play out this offseason because some of these players in the USFL are going to transition successfully to the NFL, and that is going to start garnering more interest in the USFL as a place where future stars of the NFL are coming from. You know, that is always the goal, to become some somewhat of a feeder league for the in-between players, the guys who aren't quite ready for college football, or excuse me, professional football leaving college, or guys who are kind of banging around on practice squads in the NFL, but they're not ready to make that big leap into getting some s- significant playing time. But you're going to know some of these names, like Bo Scarborough, um, Who's the other running back? Um, Darius Victor is another one. Um, Kevante Turpin, who's the wide receiver, won the MVP of this league. You know, there are going to be some guys. And then there's a couple of quarterbacks. I mean, none of them are going to walk into the league and operate like Drew Brees. But um, Slaughter, Cookus, Jamar Smith from the Stallions, who's playing in the championship game, another opportunity to see him play. These are guys who could potentially land on NFL rosters this offseason. And depending on how, you know, seasons go, cutdowns go, may end up getting some playing time and having success at the NFL level next year. Well, let me ask you this because the season is ending in July. I mean, there's not a lot of time before we get to training camp. We're a month away, right? I mean, as far as the yep. NFL is concerned, 
So does that short amount of time actually work for or against these guys that have put in a full season in the USFL? Uh, it, it depends. So one way to look at it is these guys are already warmed up for the preseason. So they're going to have this short break. And then those who are fortunate enough to sign an NFL contract, they're going to show up for training camp and they're already going to be in hitting shape, you know, especially the guys who play deep into the postseason. The The other side of the coin is – Look, we know what overuse can do to athletes. We know what, you know, obviously playing a contact sport like football can do to the body. And even if they escaped a USFL spring season healthy, entering training camp and trying to then make it through a 17-week NFL regular season plus postseason plus and then the preseason prior to that I mean that's a long haul so we'll see how these guys hold up but yeah it, it it's just one of those catch-22s it's like you know you can't deny that this is their entry into the league but it may set them up for failure in terms of injury I guess my question about the USFL is and we talked about this with the live tour right like what's your end game here I mean yeah. what, what exactly uh, is your goal for the future of the Live Golf Tour? What is the goal of the USFL? Now, we go back to the original USFL. It was a very different situation. It was a spring league that was actually offering more money for college talent than the NFL was, which is how they got Herschel Walker and Steve Young and Reggie White and all these future Hall of Famers who launched their careers in the USFL. The problem was when Donald Trump brought in, uh, bought into the USFL, he was like, no, 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 we, we need to take on the NFL. Let, let's move this. Let's, let, let's, we are in full bore attack mode on the NFL. They went there and obviously failed miserably, and it was done after three years. So where does the USFL, getting through year one, getting into year two, where do they want to be two years from now, five years from now? What exactly... Do you see as the ultimate end game for a league like the USFL? The end game for the USFL is to sign a huge network contract. Like, if you really compare USFL average television viewership ratings to the NBA regular season, to Major League Baseball regular season, they're right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the truth. The NBA doesn't get a lot of viewers on a night in night out basis if you're if you're going to compare it to like the cumulative numbers they're huge but the average draw it's relatively low you know i mean hundreds of mil, uh, excuse me hundreds of thousands a tick over a million if it's like an important game in the regular season but but it's just it's just not that that much different than the numbers we're seeing in the USFL. So if broadcast networks are willing to spend literally $25 billion to air the NBA, why shouldn't they spend just as much or something commensurate or, or slightly below because it's a new league on the USFL if they're commanding the same you know, we assume demographic of sports watcher and close to the same numbers. Yeah, it's a shorter season. I understand that. It's not the NFL. It never will be. But the product rates. So if the product rates, there's going to be an interested investor out there in terms of the network to provide broadcasting rights. All right. Well, we'll see how many eyeballs will be on this USFL championship game, which again will be kicking off in a little more than three hours. Well, that's big. 
But even bigger is one other sporting event we're going to get into that features one of the most dominant athletes the world has ever known. Coming up next, Steve Harbin and Rich Ornberger, Fox Sports Sunday. We have covered a lot of sports today, but we haven't covered the ultimate on the 4th of July weekend. Featuring, by the way, unquestioned, one of the greatest athletes the world has ever known. Imagine dominating your sport to the level where every time you go to this event, you set a world record every single year. Think about it. Who, who Who does that? Who does that? But we have such an individual in the world of hot dog eating, and that is the great Joey Chestnut, who has won 14 of the last 15 competitions. Matt Stoney's stunning upset in 2015 still goes down with one of the greatest upsets. I mean, that's like Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. Oh, when Matt completely. Stoney stunned Joey Chestnut, 62 hot dogs to Joey 60 to end an eight-game uh, eight-year winning streak for Chestnut. He's rattled off six in a row since, setting a record every single year. But I don't know if you heard about this, Rich. So they had the big festivities on Friday, and Joey Chestnut showed up for the weigh-in. By the way, Kim, checking in about 235 pounds. He was on crutches. No. So they're like, what is going on here, Joey? You're on crutches. And let me let me get the exact injury here. So he has uh what was it? Um, what was the injury here? He will be competing tomorrow. He actually walked with crutches under both arms, which would be really hard to hold up hot dogs. He had a black cast. He would actually not talk about what happened to him. Oh Other than the fact that he says he will be 100%. Now, last year he set the record with 76. He knows that he can break that record. 77 looks doable. But let's let's get back to this injury, right? Right. And, and by the way, if you were to bet the field against Joey Chestnut, 12 to 1 odds. <laughs> now, this that's a pretty big number, right? Speaks highly about Joey Chestnut. So, 14-time champion. Mm-hmm. The, the seemingly unbeatable. He's on crutches. Yeah. Now, obviously, he's not going to have the crutches, but if he needs the crutches to stabilize himself, or again, walking, but just sort of holding himself up, if you got one leg in a cast, I want to, I want you to, because you, you can eat pretty well. So imagine you're standing there with a cast on a leg, trying to sort of keep your equilibrium, right? And you're yeah. shoving hot dogs and buns down your throat. If you're just a little off, like just a little imbalanced, couldn't it affect how many hot dogs you need? Or is he such a machine, you don't think it's going to be a problem? Well, it's a great question, Steve. You know, when I think about, though, what you're overcoming when you're downing hot dogs at a a massive rate and abundance, I think, like, what are you fighting through? I mean, clearly, 
what you're fighting through is physical pain, right? You know, what you're fighting through is that mental threshold that forbids you from having just one more bite because, you know, the tissues of your stomach are stretching against your intestines and, you know, shoot, I mean, I'm sure your lungs are having a hard time fully, fully, uh, you know, uh, inflating. And, you know, when you have a, 73 hot dogs or 75 hot dogs in the buns and the water and it's all just coalescing in this space in your diaphragm i mean that takes up a lot of room so it's pain so maybe maybe if he's still in pain from whatever injury has wait a second crutches, i have an update yeah it's go a, ahead a ruptured tendon okay so he's got a ruptured tendon. what in an ankle or something well i mean he's got his lower leg in a cast his yes. right leg is in a cast so it might be an achilles thing Mm-hmm. Uh, which sounds like it's probably a non-sports related injury in terms of uh, what what his normal. He took uh, some kind of fall and he yeah. ruptured a tendon. But I mean, he's got a full cast on his right leg. Well, my point is, if you're feeling pain in your leg, it may actually be a benefit. It may mm. have a performance enhancing effect. Like if he's still feeling pain from that ruptured tendon, maybe that takes his mind off of the pain of inhaling hot dogs at a rate of, you know, five or six per minute, you know? So maybe this is actually to his benefit going into the competition. You know, you think about Chestnut's career, Kobayashi was the first superstar of the hot dog eating contest. Kobayashi was just this absolute machine, seemingly unbeatable. And plus his diminutive stature is what really drew people to him. The fact that this smaller man can just pack so much food down the old gullet. I mean, when you think about in 2006 was sort of the year where we became aware of Chestnut. And he showed up at the Nathan's uh, Hot Dog Eating Contest trying to knock out Kobayashi. He lost. Get this. He had 52 and Kobayashi had 53 and three quarters, which is then a new world record. He's at 76 right now. Now, this this is amazing because this that was 16 years ago. He was 22. He was a student at San Jose State at the time. 38 years old now. 38 mm. years old. So we talk about, you know, long of tooth and age becomes a factor. You know, father time wins every time. The amount of food this man has consumed over the years is mind-boggling. But is he like Tom Brady? Like, like, could you see this guy getting this into his mid-40s? Or how do you evaluate the lifespan of a competitive eater? Is Chestnut is just a freak of nature? I mean, he obviously is, but... Is he a kind of guy do you think that at some point it's like the body says, no, you just can't do this anymore? Yeah, that is, uh, look, that's his fate. That's his future. That happens to all athletes. Joey Chestnut, look, is does he seem uh, infatigable? Uh, absolutely. Does he seem um, like somebody who... You know, when faced with any obstacle in in the realm of eating, um, will will clear it easily. Yeah, at times, but Father Time is undefeated. Father Time. I mean, look, tissues. We were just talking about the expansion and contraction of the 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 stomach lining, right? You know, that's what really gives him this superpower. The same way, you know, at some point, a pitcher just loses the velocity on the fastball, or a quarterback just can't keep up with the accuracy any longer. So too will a competitive eater feel the issues of age. You know, eventually those stomach tissues. 
they just don't want to stretch the way they used to you know and 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 that's when you, and and you know a part of part of being an athlete especially an elite athlete like Joey Chestnut is knowing when it's over and you just hope that you don't you don't see him you know out back of a Nathan's restaurant one day you know in in a, a pickup eating contest you know kind of like those old all-stars in the minor leagues just hanging on just just for the love of the game I guess or because they can't say goodbye because then it gets sad you know you think back to chestnut and and again we're talking about one of the legendary athletes of all time it all started his first breakout was in 2005 the year he competed the year before he competed uh in the Nathan's contest for the first time his breakout performance was in a deep-fried asparagus eating championship. I remember this well. Yeah, 6.3 pounds in 11 and a half minutes. And then later set a world record that year, 32 and a half grilled cheese sandwiches in 10 minutes. What was amazing about the asparagus, sorry to cut you off, because yes. the hamburger yeah, Deep-fried asparagus, by the way. Was um, his pee didn't smell right for two and a half <laughs> months afterwards. Yeah. That's accurate. Have, have you ever been in an eating contest like that? Like, I mean, I know you, when I first met you, you, you were notorious for your cheat days that unfortunately then became cheat weeks and cheat months for right, a while that's, there. That's correct. But you used to do like a, a cheat day where you would consume an insane amount of food, like an insane amount of food. Yeah, look, as a former offensive lineman, eating is as much a part of the job requirement as pushing defensive linemen out of the way to make way for running backs. So I I was something of a pro myself. I wouldn't say I was competitive, but I will say that at times, you know, if, uh, if a throwdown occurred between a, a teammate of mine, uh, you know, I could, I could hold up. I mean, again... It, Compared to Chestnut or Kobayashi or the alike, uh, really more of an amateur, but but I fancy myself a decent eater. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was thinking about this. Uh, So uh, the president uh, recently announced the new recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Including yes. a couple of uh, form, uh, athletes, Simone Biles got one, uh, and then uh, Megan Rapino also got one. I got to think at some point Chestnut has earned that, right? I, w- it, I mean, when you talk about domination. I would argue overdue. I would argue overdue. Overdue! Look, I, I mean, again, we were talking about this with J.P. Morosi. For those who aren't paying attention to baseball, they're missing out on the mm. the elegant and tremendous impact that Shohei Otani is having on the sport. He's doing things, frankly, that we've never seen done before. Um, if you're not a tennis fan, you're missing out on the the waning moments of the career that was Serena Williams and her dominance over the sport. If you haven't been clued into competitive eating... Mm then you've completely missed the story of Joey Chestnut, and it's a story that may never be told again. So I agree with you, Steve. Like, a a Presidential Medal of Freedom, Mm. I I mean, we saw with the last presidency, Tiger Woods. You mentioned Megan Rapinoe. A lot of athletes over the years have received the honor. Simone Biles. Joey Chestnut. uh, You can speak his name with them comfortably. He's an American legend, and he does it every year on our nation's birthday. Oh, all right. Well, I know we're enamored by the exploits of Joey Chestnut. Can he do it on essentially one healthy leg? We'll find out tomorrow. But right now, let's find out what is trending as Monsi Bolaños is back. And Monsi, are you as 
do you hold Joey Chestnut in the same reverence as uh, Rich and I do? <laughs> yes, and I, I I am impressed, and I like to consider myself a competitive eater when pizza is put in front of me. Really? Now, oh. now, have you ever tried to see, like, you know, for sheer volume in a short amount of time, have you ever done th- something like that? No, I mean, but I, I can put pizza down for sure. I don't know what it is about pizza, but I could put too many slices in my body at one time. It's amazing because Monty's like the size of one of Rich's legs. Okay, so yeah, uh, we haven't met in person. I've seen pictures though. Right. Monty yeah. is is I like where did the where does the pizza go? I will say this about pizza: like pizza, unfortunately, it's not a plural thing. It's like when you order a pizza, I that's that's for me. What's for you? Oh, I am so with you, one hundred percent. I like I'm gonna eat almost this entire pizza. So if you're gonna join in, we're gonna get two pizzas. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Any day, I think I have pizza like no joke four to five times a week. Wow. I now love is, it, pizza. is it just a cheese pizza? Do you put a, t- a certain topping on your pizza? I'm fine with just cheese. I could do veggies. I also get my vegan pizza here right. and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't need anything on it. I'm cool with just cheese. Wow. I think it's the best. Multiple but- cheeses or a specific cheese? I, I don't discriminate. Whatever yeah. you want to throw mm. on it, I'm yeah. cool with it. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I love pizza from anywhere. And I, that's what I feel that because if I get it from a different spot, like I could have pizza all day from different locations and I feel like I'm having a different meal. Now, are you New York pizza, deep dish? Where uh, are you? Again, I don't discriminate. Wow, I love that. <laughs> I love yeah, it all. Pizza's pizza. Pizza okay. is pizza. Mm. I, I'm cool with any of it. I don't think I have a preference, to be honest with you. I uh, agree. Right? I'm an equal opportunist. I mean, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to my favorite, I mean, my favorite is New York style. But deep dish, I mean, I could get down with that Detroit right. style. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it really, you know, the really thin, like yeah. almost flatbread style. And you fold it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm into it. Mm. All right, guys. Listen, we have an exciting game, but it just ended with the walk-off RBI single. Yeah, uh, the Braves were down 3-1 to one, entering the ninth inning in Cincinnati, and they were able actually to tie the game with the homer from Marcelo Zuna and Michael Harris the second. So we entered the ninth inning tied, and then we were in the bottom of the ninth inning. Bases loaded. The Reds just won. RBI single. Very exciting game. While the Nationals and the Marlins, top of the ninth inning, Nationals are up 3-2 to two again. Juan Soto had to exit the contest. He seemed to maybe have hurt his knee. Some, he was um, stuck in between the third and, and home base, was running in the fourth inning, was tagged out. He walked off very carefully. Something is definitely up. We'll see if we get an update on that. The Padres and Dodgers are going at it, and Betts already doubled in his first plate appearance after missing two weeks with a cracked rib. Then Trey Turner doubled right after, and the Dodgers are up 1-0 on the Padres. Still only the first inning. The Mariners are up on the A's 1-0 as well. That game just started while the Diamondbacks are blanking the Rockies 5-0 in the fifth inning. The Angels and Astros are tied at two apiece in the sixth, and the Yankees not on the scoreboard. We're in the top of the ninth inning, and they are losing to the Guardians 2-0. So we will see what happens with that. In NBA news, which we've been talking about all day, the Raptors believe that they have the best package to offer the Nets for all-star Kevin Durant. But one thing with the Raptors, they will not have Rookie of the Year Scotty Barnes in the package if there is one. And, of course, everyone is talking about what is Kyrie going to do. Yahoo Sports reports that the Lakers and the Nets are actively engaged in discussions in a trade between Russell Westbrook and Kyrie Irving. All of that is preliminary at this point, but apparently the Nets would like to include Joe Harris in the deal, while the Lakers instead are interested in Seth Curry. And I 
think that has to do with money because Harris is owed $36.8 million over the next two years. Seth Curry has an expiring contract worth only $8.5 million. And the latest in signings, it is according to The Athletic that Goran Dragic has signed officially a one-year deal with the Chicago Bulls worth $2.9 million. Now, Rich, I don't know what you're doing at your barbecue tomorrow, but I've been watching Cornhole this entire time. You yep. need to have Cornhole. Yeah, That's yeah, it's a it's a it's a must <laughs> on a Fourth of July. Whether you you're at the beach, a park, your right. backyard, your front yard, yeah, it's just. I mean, look, any any sport that you can excel at while holding a beer, <laughs> you, yep, darts, bowling, Done. cornhole, Monty, yeah. Done. when when the Horseshoes. pandemic <laughs> when the pandemic launched, and we literally had four months without any sporting events to talk about, filling up weekends and everything else. Oh my right? gosh, I can't imagine, um, but. Cornhole was on. I mean, you had guys wearing masks. Right. And Rich and I were enamored. I mean, we started, we were watching so much of it, we actually started to know the names of the competitors. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, we actually, oh, remember this guy. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was really impressed. Like, I thought I was good at cornhole. And then I'm watching oh, these, these guys, guys, and I was like, ridiculous. oh. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, this is no, just, no, they're no, just, no. they're all going in the they, hole. They, 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 they can either fly it in, but they can, like, get slide it in. Yeah. They know how to slide it, or they could slide it to knock a guy. Oh, oh these What's guys amazing are is, like, you know, when it's a swish, like when right. all oh, yeah. of a sudden you've got those barriers, those blockades in front and a guy just can sort of call it. He'll be like, all right, I'm dropping this in. And yeah. I just, I mean, I'm impressed with yeah. the level of accuracy. Well, it's that's like great display. golfers. Like right. they can put the ball exactly where they want. That's how it is in cornhole. I mean, it's mm. unbelievable. Great unbelievable. accuracy. All right, Monsi, we'll, uh, we'll let you get back to whatever plans you have for your next pizza. Uh, Stop it. I know. I, I She's already hungry right now. Uh, Monsi, great job. We always appreciate <laughs> A pleasure. it. pleasure. Um, I want to get back to uh, the biggest topic that we started our show with, Rich, and that, of course, is... Uh, this battle between the Big Ten and SEC for essential control of college football and how the Big Ten really, with this move by USC and UCLA, has suddenly changed the whole dynamic. Because, Rich, it wasn't this long ago when it was like the whole world against the SEC, right? Like the like the SEC was becoming such a monolith that they completely almost could secede from the rest of college football and yet here's the Big Ten saying, no, no, we are not conceding to the SEC. So this is this is now a battle of heavyweights. Like this is Ali Frazier. Like this is this is going to become one of the big battles. Like, all right, we just made our move. What's the next move? And I said before, the big one dangling is Notre Dame. Oh my. Right now, you just feel like this tug of war for Notre Dame. Will Notre Dame go to the Big Ten? Will Notre Dame go to the SEC? I love this. I mean, I think this is absolutely dynamic. The creation of finally something I predicted years ago was going to happen is finally coming to fruition, the super conferences. And we got (laughs) two heavyweights going toe-to-toe right now. And it's just like, all right. You know, SEC went with Texas, Oklahoma, Big Ten counters with the L.A. market with SC and UCLA. What is next, Rich? Well, when you think about it, the most successful sports league in the world, well, I shouldn't say in the world, but certainly in this country, is the NFL and has two conferences. Like, we, we like this system. Like, as sports viewers, we're a fan of this system. It works at the professional level in the most popular sport in the country 
and so we're talking about the collegiate level used to be amateur but the collegiate level of that same sport so why not try to make that make sense right you know so in the nfl you have 32 teams they're separated into two conferences of 16 teams separated into four divisions each of four teams it makes perfect sense right you find that magic number whatever it is in college sports two conferences of 20 teams of 40 teams 50 60 whatever that number is figure it out and then fracture off into divisions have interdivisional play and you can have cross-conference rivalries like we see in the nfl you could you could turn college football into something that resembles in practice the nfl and be very inclusive in terms of the number of teams that are part of it and have something that honestly is going to be potentially a comparable product then to the NFL in terms of ratings and viewership because remember people aren't just interested in their team because it's uh, the city they live in or fantasy football they're also interested in their team because that's the school they went to you know so I think it works I I'm kind of excited for whatever's next in college football because one thing we know is it is not going to stay the same for very long like this isn't the last move we're going to hear about. It's no, not going to no, no, end no. with USC and UCLA jumping mm, to the big. No, team. I mean uh, all everybody's in play right now. Uh, obviously, all right. Let, let's play this out though. Let, uh, yeah. Let's just for using round numbers. Let's say SEC and Big Ten end up with twenty schools in each conference. All right. Do you have a schedule? Because obviously you can't play everybody in your conference. You can barely play half the teams in your conference. And then there's non-conference games. Are we then of the mindset that these 40 schools that we're using as an example for the SEC and the Big Ten, that they play exclusively amongst their ranks? Do they do maybe a little crossover, you know, like SEC picks a couple of Big Ten schools to play in the regular season? Are all the other schools out of the mix and as you know this would you know Alabama against the Furmans or you know over the you know, Sanfords over the years are those games eliminated for good how do you see this playing out well no I don't see those being eliminated for good because I, th- I, I think there's a lot of college football programs and coaches uh, who find value employing those quote-unquote warm-up games I also see those games still being included for this reason too because I think seasons are going to be expanded. Look, I, I I realize that everybody used to be up in arms about all the things, all the abuses of college athletes uh, when we were referring to them still as student athletes. When we everybody seemed to be very, you know, uh, upset with the NCAA with sort of the the two faced dealings. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you guys are a nonprofit and you're about protecting and governing to make sure that these these student athletes um, stay amateurs, but you're profiting these schools and these universities, they're sky, they're profiting these sky high uh, network broadcasting rights deals. Um, so, so what appropriate protections are in place? Well, there's going to be less concern about the appropriate protections put in place when we're talking about professional athletes, which through name, image, and likeness, many of these players are commanding humongous amounts of endorsement money. Not many, but the stars for certain, and that's only going to trickle down to the lesser-known role players on each of these teams as these collectives become more powerful. So I think we're going to see season expansion 
expansion. We're going to go from 12 games to 14 games, potentially 16 games, 17 games. Who knows? Maybe they even outpace the NFL. That's coming, man, because there's a lot of money to be made, not only for these schools and universities like always, but also for these players. And the more games you play, the more exposure you have, the more opportunity you have to make more money in endorsements. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of blowback from these student, these quote-unquote student athletes anymore. All right, coming up on the other side, you want to make some money on this 4th of July holiday weekend? Our bold predictions are coming up next. Steve Harbin and Rich Armberger here on Fox Sports Sunday. You know, we do what we can each and every time here on Fox Sports Sunday to make it the best show possible, but none of this is possible without the help of those that support us behind the scenes. And Bobo came in today, and Bobo, this, uh, what, what is it like to come in on a Sunday? We get to see your famous face only occasionally but what is it like to have to step in for iowa sam it's different man because you know normally i come in at five right. on sundays and to come in i'm i don't know what i'm gonna do with the rest of my night maybe nah. some laundry yeah there it is so i watched uh, the california classic summer league game i'm excited about the lakers are playing again Woo! did you record the uh world championship tag so you can see it again uh later? no i did not i'm gonna okay. have to see if i can find some clips on youtube or something okay very good but it was amazing and it was captivating uh well boba we always appreciate having you here appreciate it man. uh monsi just doing a phenomenal job she's a superstar and uh, we always appreciate her uh input not just her expertise in delivering the updates but all of her uh perspective on the world of sports always appreciated monsi and then of course ryan what can we say there is no equal. There is no equal. He is. Uh, I have you been nominated for any awards uh, specifically for this show that you've been producing for quite a while now, Ryan? Not yet, but it is uh, garnering uh, mm-hmm. some buzz. You know what? And forget the annual awards. I'm thinking career achievement. Is what, yeah, you know, you know, one yeah. Of those, it's like those Oscars, and all of a sudden, yeah, you know, like someone that's been overlooked, they just give them the career one. One of those. Yeah, I just hope, uh, unlike Leo DiCaprio, Ryan Bershinger doesn't have to wrestle mm-hmm. a bear, a grizzly Ooh, bear, yeah, in order yeah. to get his career, mm-hmm. you know, his life achievement award. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll do what I have to. Uh, well, we okay, appreciate everyone's effort today. All right, I want to get your thoughts here, USFL. I got a couple of numbers for you, Rich. I want some predictions right okay. now. Okay. Okay. So the uh, Stallions, Birmingham, is a four and a half point favorite and the over under on this game is 45 and a half points that's a pretty low number when you put it in comparison to some nfl games so let's start with the uh, stallions as four and a half point favorites over philadelphia which way are you leaning in this usfl championship game stallions stallions cover cover I mean, their only loss this year was by two points. Yeah, first of all, they've been an offensive juggernaut. Second of all, they're defending their home turf, and they, like much like every single game, they're all played in Birmingham. <laughs> so it just sort of feels like... But they're not in Birmingham. This is, you know, this is in Canton, Ohio. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're oh, in Canton, right. Ohio. In fact, but they did win the semis in Canton, Ohio. So. A, okay, so uh, that changes everything. Right. No, yeah, it doesn't. It Look, I, 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 think, I, I think this. I think outside of maybe the first game when I was really interested in seeing what this was going to look like, especially in comparison to the Alliance of American Football, which I worked in for whatever the eight-game schedule it was, uh, I was really curious to see how it looked. And then since then, I haven't watched 
a single bit of this outside of when it's on the monitors in studios that I'm doing radio shows. I I I just haven't had much of an interest to be perfectly honest with you. Um Skip Holtz, Hall of Fame? No, what do you think? I say induct him today. Yeah. Why wait the why wait the five years post career? I mean it should be automatic. I'm sure the USFL will have a Hall of Fame someday. By the way, he had a long career in coaching, you know, Skip Lou is Lou almost as long as his father's. He was at Connecticut Steve, for five years. Steve, and, Steve, uh, Steve. Uh, they, they, uh, the USFL doesn't need their own Hall of Fame. There's already a pro, pro football Hall of Fame. And as a matter of fact, they're you. playing this championship game in Canton. Mm. Put him in Canton. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You're right. You're right. In fact, Gold jacket. You know, Herschel Walker, who's now a candidate for the United States Senate, he still is like, why am I not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I had a 2,400-yard season in the USFL. Wasn't that not professional football? It was. Yeah. It was. All right. So it okay. counts. All right. And then the big bet of the day is tomorrow. Do you take Joey Chestnut to win again, or do you take the field at 12 to 1 odds, knowing that he'll be standing there in the cast? Which way do you go for the hot dog eating contest tomorrow? Look, I think I would, uh, I think I would be lying if I didn't say that I was nervous, mm-hmm. but I 100% mm. I'm backing up the returning champ, Joey Chestnut, to defend his title. And I feel good about it, frankly. In fact... Will he set a world record? I was going to go there. I'm going to say that we're going to see history made. Wow. 77. 77 He's been increasing it by like a hot dog each year. So 77 hot dogs in 10 minutes with buns. That's sort of greatness. Yeah, with buns. With buns. That sort of greatness is hard to quantify. <laughs> well, good luck with your barbecue. Thank you. Uh, are you going to be posting something on TikTok for us? Just a happy birthday message to Steve Harbin. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? facts, yes, all of the above are correct, but most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.